Hello there, my name's Neil David and I'm the host of Eurograps Express, the podcast exclusively dedicated to the wrestling of Europe. If it's wrestling and it happens in Europe and it's good, we talk about it. Whether it's RevPro, Progress, WXW, Passion Pro, Pro Wrestling Chaos, Pro Wrestling North, we don't care, we talk about them all. If it's good and it's exciting, I want to share it with you. We're on the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. Check us out on the feed. Check us out on Twitter at EuroGrapsEXP. And join us for chat about European wrestling and a little bit of chat about cheese. Hopefully see you there. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. To the highway in a brand new day. Welcome back to Open the Voice Gate for January 2nd, 2024. We are members of the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. You can find us on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network feed or on our own dedicated Open the Voice Gate feed on, on podcast platforms and applications. You can follow us on Twitter X at Open Voice Gate. If you'd like to donate to the show, click the link in the show notes. It'll take you to our redcircle.com landing site. You click the red boxes to sponsor this podcast and you can set up a one-time or recurring donation. No obligation whatsoever, but we would like to thank all of our previous donors. I'm one of your hosts. It's your old pal, Mike Spears. Join alongside as always your other host, Case Slow. And Case, happy 2024, buddy. Happy 2024, Mike. How are you? You know, I am doing all right. Uh, do have a major hole in my house right now, but considering everything about that, I'm getting through it. I'm getting through it. We're being positive in 2024 so far. And I just had a nerd rope, so sugar is getting me right through it. Oh, good. Um, have you considered and and you know take this take this openly, take this as best as you can. Have you considered me flying down to uh, your neck of the woods and setting your house on fire so you can claim insurance money and move to a different house? You know, I have thought about that, but then I have wondered about with uh, they start looking into like other things that might have happened in this house because I'm still convinced there might have been a murder that yeah. happened here. It, so, makes sense, it makes sense that you would move into a murder house. I, I mean, it is something where I am uniquely situated to just curse myself. Yeah, and, no, not because there are the people that like want to move into a murder house. You are kind of like, oh, like bad luck sitcom guy almost. Then just you wound up in a murder house. Right. Yes. No, no, no. This is the thing that like I would be moving into like a tenement and my neighbor would be John Larroquette. Like the, the, this is the situation here. It's not like. The curse on Showtime uh, with Paramount Plus now, case it's more of like the old school money pit. It's a money pit situation. Big fan of Moneyball. That's a good movie. You know, uh, I I feel like that was Michael Lewis movies 
I, I'm wondering where they go to for now because I don't know if they're going to be able to do one about uh, Sam, Samuel Bankman Freeman. Is he? He's the same guy that did the Big Short, right? Right. Yes. Same author, yeah. Michael Lewis, and yeah. The Blind Side. Okay, never saw Blind Side. I think I've said this before on this show. Big Short's one of my five favorite movies, and I don't understand it. And I've watched it. Uh, I've probably watched The Big Short more than any other movie, other than like. 8 Mile, because 8 Mile's always on TV. It's either on VH1 or Fuse all the time. So I've seen 8 Mile a bunch. But other than that, I watch The Big Short at least once a year. I love that movie. I love the way that uh, the the production of it's done. I still barely understand it, but man, do I enjoy that. And I would like another movie like that to, to come about. I love the fact that you brought up the Fuse TV station, something I do not believe has existed since uh, Obama's first term. Fuse is still on television. No, it is not still on television. Fuse is still on television. I can't it is. It. They have transitioned away from. In, they're like the last time I watched Fuse, they were basically showing TikToks on TV. That's the only way I can describe it. Uh, oh, so it's like the Chive online TV. Yeah, stuff, it kind of became like what they used to be for cool bands. They kind of became for influencers. I think that's the direction they went. You know, that kind of in the long or I, I mean, like we're living in an era now that it's basically going to be a fast station that could be put on on a TV behind someone at a bar yeah. whenever there's not sports. God, show. that's depressing. I, I mean, that's what we're getting to. Oh, like, no, you're that, not wrong. That's what's going to be. That's going to be like. Speaking of Fuse, I just finished reading the book. Uh, Where Are Your Boys Tonight, which is an oral history of the emo explosion 1999 through 2008. One would highly recommend if you're into Jimmy World or Fall Out Boy or My Cam or any bands like that. And they spent a lot of time talking about how cool Fuse TV was at one point. And as a child of that era, I would agree. Fuse was very, very cool. You, you see, like I, I, I've known about the book. We I think, feel like we've talked about this book before. Like... Maybe because it's essentially it's meet me in the bathroom, which was like right. the Strokes and Interpol and Franz mm -hmm. Ferdinand. It's that, but just a different group of bands. And I love that format. I could read books about that all day long. Yeah, but like the, the thing is, in case I feel like we've talked about this on another podcast before about emo and like that kind of music of like the that era that like you have the fallout point and Jimmy World thing. And other than the fact that they kind of sing and perform the same kind of way, they're very distinct bands with distinct fan bases like that's the whole thing about the when we are young tour that just completely dissatisfies me yeah it's uh it's just a different that, generation that, that, of that whole thing that that whole thing is very odd i will say this my girlfriend's favorite band is fallout boy and i i've always enjoyed them i saw them twice this past year they did an intimate show in chicago in front of like a thousand people and i got her into that and we had a great time there but then they played wrigley field and I got to say, I go to a lot of shows. I am big venues, small venues, a lot of different types of music. I see it all. I have not enjoyed many shows more than Fall Out Boy at Wrigley Field. Uh, they had a huge, huge alternative hit this past year. The record they released in 2023 did pretty well, all things considered. And then they just have hits after, they have, you know, hits on hits on hits. I really, really enjoy them. Hey, I feel like that they are... The group, and it's not like me like besmirching it. It's just something that what my emo phase was much earlier, and that's just how that kind of play it played out. Like, like they probably have a tight thirteen song set that like 
you can go to every Major League Baseball stadium and you can get 20,000 people there for that and have a great time. I bet if you, if you saw Fall Out Boy live, I bet you would know 15 songs. Oh, oh, but but here's the thing. If they're going to be playing live here, Case, are they doing Choctaw, the former Globe Life Field, or, or Globe Life Park, or are they doing uh, Globe Life Field? I think, well, wait, so where, where do the Rangers play? It's Globe Life Field, the barn, the the, the, the oversized, like, uh, Lowe's uh, place. And then they kept the original ballpark in Arlington, still exists. That's where the XFL teams play. Okay, so last time they were in Dallas was this summer, and they did the Dos Equis Pavilion, which I'm assuming is one of the Live Nation sheds that's like, yeah. if you factor in the lawn, it's like 30,000 people. Uh, so Dos Equis Pavilion has existed for a long time under a lot of different yeah. names. Yeah, every, every major city has one. They're the Live Nation sheds, yeah. and they yeah. it's mostly, at this point, country and classic rock, and then if you're lucky, you get one or two cool shows there a summer. Yeah, uh, that used to be called the starplex back in my day and then smirnoff so yeah gotcha uh 2021 they did minute maid park and that was with green day and weezer that was a big tour oh yeah like that's the thing like the when we were when we were young tour like makes so much sense like they could probably go and do all the nfl stadiums if they really wanted to i mean they're they're at the level that like you know green day is doing the the tour with smashing pumpkins next year and I don't. I, mean, I you want to you want a music music industry scoop, Mike? Oh, go right ahead. That's why people come to the show specifically. So Green Day is touring at the Pumpkins, and I don't know if this was just for Chicago because the Pumpkins are from here, or if this was going to be nationwide. But all of the talk about that tour was that they were going to do Soldier Field, which is sixty seventy thousand, depending on on the way you set it up, and you know people in my my area of life were like, what are they thinking? Like green day is a very big band, but the Foo Fighters don't even do soldier field when they come here, they do Wrigley field. Like it's, it's 30 to 40,000. You can fill that place pretty easily. You know, beautiful summer night. Wrigley field is the place to be not soldier field. Nobody wants to go to soldier field. Like, what are they thinking? So we were all under the guise that it was going to be soldier. And then that tour was announced. And I guess at the last minute, somebody finally talks some sense to the band and they're doing the baseball stadiums, not the football stadium. So uh, yeah, they're at that level. I mean, fall out boy. I would, I don't know what they do internationally, but in America, yeah, they're doing, you know, they're doing basketball arenas, you know, 20,000 ish in the winter. And if they're doing a summer tour, they're doing either the sheds or the baseball stadiums. They're, uh, you know, they, the, the thing is, you know, they went away for a little bit and it doesn't bother me that in the 2010s, they were like, we're writing pop hits. We are writing, football bumper music we are writing pop hits and it gave them another life and really upped their profile a little bit now this last record they did is like an alt sounding fallout boy true to form record but it's the first time they've done that in a decade so they have a lot of different intersections coming together at their shows they draw a nice house and they put on a great show yeah it's just something that i have to imagine with how fallout boy veered into that direction the like the fact that there was not really ever any like the the authenticity of fallout boy discussion happened decades before that like no exactly everyone was kind of like well we've done this before this band when they first were on the come up like go do your college game day songs like whatever and to me it was always like it was fine with me because they were very open they're like yeah we're doing big pop hits now like there's no it's not a lighter rock song it's not like an easy listening alt song everything about it was just very 
full frontal almost of just like this is what we are now and they you know that first record when they came back i mean the, some of the songs on that record are like monstrous huge hits with a billion streams now so they they knew what they were doing and i think in in the the book that i just read uh in the same way that in meet me in the bathroom karen o from the yeah yeah yeah's she kind of is the MVP of that book. She comes across as the coolest person in that scene. Pete Wentz comes across really, really well compared to some of his contemporaries in Where Are Your Boys Tonight? I can entirely buy that. He's just, a, I, I, look, I, you know, There's I, a I sincerity. know. He, he's very smart. And as I think has always been very smart. And so even if you don't like the band, there's, there's stuff about Pete Wentz that I, I think you have to respect. Yeah, no, that's entirely fair. Well, I'm glad that you had a, uh, fun uh new year's buddy like yeah uh, well oh the, so i've been reading i mm-hmm. watched i watched the iron claw last night have you seen it yet yes i saw it uh right before christmas okay can we talk about that real quick because this yeah. is fun so i i listened back to our 2022 year in award show and we did an hour of topics before we got to the awards i'm not saying we're gonna do that tonight but it's fun to keep that tradition alive uh, but case can i be honest this is actually like the episode of like our scheduled episodes each year like there are the two of us this is like one of my favorite episodes that we do where this we is, basically this is fuck our christmas party yeah, this yeah, is our christmas party you come to the open the voice gate office we're gonna it's relaxed we're a bunch of dorks it's gonna be a fun time let's talk iron claw yeah i think that that the whole wrestling fans being wrestling fans about it like i don't know what people were hoping for from that like I thought, like that was exactly what I was hoping for and expected. And can I just say, like Zach Efron looked physically uncomfortable on screen in a <laughs> yeah. way. It, 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 it was a way that, like, if, for those who don't know, I've gone through like film school, like grad school, all of that. Worked in archiving for a long time, and you get exposed to like different genres of film and and all of that. It was like full on Cronenberg body horror. Like seeing him, like just in his briefs, like trying to like get out of bed. It was something that was just like lumbering. And like that was like the thing that I've been thinking about afterwards is just Zach Efron looked physically uncomfortable. And the guy who played Fritz, uh, Holt McElhenney, was insane. Like, like that was perfect, I felt like. Loved Fritz. I, I loved Efron's performance. I mean, I. Oh, it was incredible. Like he's going to get nominated. Yeah. Like, I, it, I held it together up until the last the last scene of the movie really got to me. It was yeah. I, I don't I don't want to I don't want to spoil it for anybody that hasn't mm-hmm. seen it. The last scene of the movie really got to me. It, you know, it got to me, too. And it was not something that got to me in the theaters. It was something that later on that night, I was just like, that is without getting too much into it. Like they, they did it in an effective way, but it was also like one of the most like heavy ways that it took like hours to just decompress about that. The, about the way that they portray everything yeah it's it's really well done i went with with my girl who knows nothing about wrestling doesn't like wrestling and she she not only loved the the movie and she told me after the fact she goes i she goes i knew you said it was sad so i did a wikipedia on the family before the movie and thank god i did so i wasn't shell-shocked by all of the death um but it was fun because like I, it it was true enough to where the story of the Von Erics is told and it's told really well. And then when we left, I was explaining to her 
like, oh, here's where they took creative liberties. And then she had questions for me. And I was like, well, I'm actually let me look that up because I'm not sure if that was exactly how it was done or when it was done or if they they took liberties there. But the whole thing is so incredibly well done. And I know the A24 wrestling movie discussion got hijacked last week by should they do a Crispin Wall movie, which the answer is no. But it really it made me proud to see like a high level art film about wrestling. It was really cool. Yeah, and it's something that really I, I I feel like we've lucked out that within twenty years we've had both the wrestler and the Iron Claw, in, in a lot of ways. Just because outside of that, when we're talking about great wrestling movies, that's very far and far between. But within our lifetimes, we pretty much have two of the best ones. Uh, the thing for me that was so interesting about it, case was so did not go on the opening week. Went the second week. It was near impossible to find a screen in Fort Worth, Texas that had it on at like a convenient time. Oh, like, really? It, it was somewhat surprising. And then I went over to Dallas and it was something where the release was for like only AMCs. And at least with AMCs, it's those aren't necessarily always the it, it, it's one of those things that there's just not as many AMCs around in convenient manners and art houses, but not the like art houses that that like the Angelica is the big chain and it's at the Angelica, but it's not like at movie tavern. Like it was not a single movie tavern that I saw at least 10 days ago when I saw it, but it, it, it was wild. I guess like being someone like a Metroplex native seeing it. And the, the, the thing that really actually got me more so about it was I feel like the guy that they chose and it was the guy from uh, the social worker from uh, orange is the new black playing Ken Mantell that was pretty like dead on that got me i like i liked all of the portrayals of the wrestlers except for flair which was just baffling i i don't everybody does a rick flair impression how do they get the one guy that doesn't do a rick flair impression i think that's I actually like, even cooler that they managed to pull that <laughs> off like be honest. Looked nothing liked him sounded nothing like him whole thing was just bizarre and I, I, I love Jeremy Allen White. I actually think he did a great job in the movie, but he's like 5'7", so casting him as Carrie Von Eric I thought was very strange. Yeah, like the the things that they did with the movie that I thought was really kind of strange. And, and the one thing that I really ding them about is, like, I've gone back and rewatched a bunch of World Class, especially, like, around this, because they premiered the movie, like, two months ago in Dallas. Yeah, like, and that, that's next on my list, is I want to go... I world class is not a territory that I'm super uh, intimately familiar with. And that's kind of next on my list of things to watch is some old oh, world, world class. Yeah. It's something where like I started rewatching like 82 and it was the lead up to the, uh, it, it was lead up to the uh, star Wars 82. And yeah. it, the, the thing that gets me about this and some people have like brought it up a little bit and it is very true to it. And for a lot of people, it's just something that's not really done now is they were heavily uh, religious. And that was such a overwhelming tone about the Von Erics and about at least the way that the face army was and like in WCCW was like church fearing, uh, well, just good guys. Like, like they, they care about their mom. They, they do all those sorts of things. And that was one of the things that made them so palatable and such an easy sell for syndicators was, all right, we're adding more wrestling here. Well, here's a wrestling family of good church guys that they love their mama. They love Jesus. They're going up against like these bad apples. Uh, uh, the, the, and the, it just made sense. And it was an easy buy back then. And I feel like that that's something that 
I, I feel like the Von Erichs are so tinged with that one vein of like Southern Christianity that like it, it, I feel like that was lost a little bit, especially with Doris in the movie. I feel like, and you could speak to this better than I could. I feel like they undersold their popularity to some degree. Oh, I don't, yeah, so. they, they didn't, yeah. they didn't make the Von Erichs feel like celebrities in a way that they really were. Yeah. And like, actually like in a way that was kind of dismissing, like, they did not make such a big deal about like the David on it that the David Von Eric Memorial Parade of Champions was the biggest show on like this part of the country ever when it happened. And when David passed away, the big story and Dave, Dave Meltzer talks about this because he lived in Wichita Falls, which for those who don't know, Wichita Falls is a 60 minute car ride into Dallas Fort Worth. It is essentially in uh, Von Eric territory even though it's out in the sticks a bit. It, it, it's the way that the news missed out on the Von Erich's death because it's not necessarily because of pro wrestling in the 80s, something that they would cover. But if you go to like the schools and like the malls, the shopping malls, and just like, it was like a pallor like that allegedly, I was not alive at that time, but that was similar to like a lot of people's reaction in the United States in the aftermath of 9-11. Like at least for this one specific area, with yeah. how strongly David Von Erich and the Von Erich family was viewed in the 80s. I really overall enjoyed it. And then I, you know, I, I, I wouldn't, I, I was contemplating the idea of, you know, okay, if they were going to do another one of these, what would it be? And I don't, there, the Guerrero family story, uh, I just, I, I don't know. I don't feel like you can get a movie out of that. I, I was thinking, just because of the way his life ends and because he was in the iron claw bruiser Brody would be an interesting one. I would like to know if there's 90 minutes, two hours of material on Brody's life that they could turn into a movie, but I don't know if you have thoughts on another a 24 wrestling release, but if you do, I'd like to hear it. Yeah. Like the thing about the Guerreros is that that's more of a mini series, right? Like, yeah, I'm, you... I'm more interested in ancient Guerrero history right. than I yeah. am. 21st century Eddie Guerrero history. Yeah, yeah. Like for the two of us, we'd be like, "All right, we got to see what Gory's up to now." Yeah, exactly. Like that's what we're we're into for that. And I think uh, that Bruiser Brody, obviously, like because you could do a lot of stuff with uh, his friendships with like Stan Hansen, like his only like one of his few real friendships he had in wrestling, and kind of like that vein of that and have you seen uh the uh von uh the brody documentary that high spots had no oh that there was like a brody documentary that was really well done a, a while oh, back. i didn't know that okay yeah 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 because that barbara on it too it it might not have been high spots but there was a brody documentary like no, that sounds i mean that sounds ago. like something high spots would do yeah that like i feel like that's adaptable it, it, it's something where I feel like, like storyline wise, I kind of want to see LA and the LaBelle brothers like yeah. promoting and yeah. things like this, especially like that era pre winning time. I feel like that could be interesting, especially because like kind of figure that Gene LaBelle was, I feel like there's something there, but if you're going to do a figure like Gene LaBelle, why aren't you doing superstar Billy Graham? I guess. Uh, uh, loosely related to that, but I, I just, labelle's made me think of danny hodge and there is a great i went back and read dave's obit on fritz when fritz died there is a great story about fritz 
bragging to the locker room about how tough the claw was and how he could kill anybody in the locker room with the claw. And Danny Hodge was in the locker room and went, okay, put it on me. And Hodge no sold it. And Fritz got frustrated and like stormed out of the room because he, he just couldn't hurt Hodge in the slightest. And I thought that was just a fantastic story. Yeah, like Fritz von Eric, I I've come out of this, and some of this is Holt McElhaney's like talks about Fritz von Eric again, the psyche of it, like him, and especially like Danny Hodge being like half his size, like immediately going like, oh yeah, I could actually do this in real life <laughs> and make it hurt. I'm not gonna make like Jack Atkinson who played at SMU Southern Methodist. I'm not gonna act like that. I'm not selling for that. No, and, and Dave's open is great. It's I, sometime in '97. I would recommend going back to the Observer archives and reading that. But Hodge is. I enjoy any Danny Hodge story there is. I, that guy is fascinating to me. Yeah, like I feel like the, those stories, like Danny Hodge or like George Hackenschmidt, like the, this is me being who I am here. Like. I really find fascinating, like the era, like right up to like the Goldust trio and the era when like the, the news magazines and the newspapers were like, like reporting wrestling on sides of like boxing and stuff like that. And the, the era that goes from, all right, completely shoot into work and a lot of that being built up by the Goldust trio, I would find very fascinating. But did that's you, re- probably, did you that's- read the, um, the Ali Anoki book? I have that on my Kindle. It's it's really good, and it gets into a lot of that sort of stuff. Right, yeah. I But I wonder if that's something where it's better for a miniseries and yeah. get into that, especially because how it pretty much goes straight from Goldust Trio pretty much right into Jesse McMahon, right? That, that sounds right, yeah. Yeah, let's, so like you're getting a little bit maybe too too cute and close to uh, modern history if it's the grandfather of Vince McMahon, but I feel like you could get to that point. Yeah, Iron Claw, really well done. Uh, I would recommend that. I would recommend the book that I talked about earlier. I also, Mike, as we shift into, at least I I will say Dragon System content here, I would recommend watching some old Toriumon. That that is kind of what I want to talk about at the start of the show this week, if you don't mind. Uh, We'll talk about Glate and their Tokyo Dome City Hall show in a minute. We'll obviously have the Ulti Awards for 2023, the best of Dragon Gate this past year. We'll talk about that at the end of the show. But... Uh, by the time some of you hear this, I guess maybe not, but I'm working on a big article uh, akin to what I did for Masato Yoshino's retirement or like what I did with Genki Horiguchi last year for the 20th anniversary of El Numero Uno 2003, working on one for the 30th anniversary of Masaki Mochizuki's career. I have quotes from Hoho Loon in there. I have quotes from Mike Spears in there. Uh, I have quotes from a few other people uh, that I'm I'm looking forward to... uh, everybody reading their input on Mochizuki's career, but it has led me to rewatching a lot of old Torimon stuff that I haven't seen in a while. And I have to say 2001 Torimon is one of the most satisfying promotions I have ever watched. And I feel like you like, you know, when the network launched, you know, Jay used to do those monthly sort of tweet recaps on whatever TV got uploaded and he doesn't do that anymore. And they just kind of go up on the network and everybody moves on. And I don't feel like they get any love. And maybe that falls on us because we don't really talk about them either. But I would implore people to go back and watch old Torimon, especially if you've never seen it, because it is so digestible on the network and it is so good. And I just feel like it's it's becoming because of the passage of time. It's becoming one of the great, almost undiscovered libraries in wrestling history. 
Yeah, especially with the fact that they are, I just tabbed over their case myself because that's how it's kind of been lately seeing where they are. I did not realize that they're already in fall of 2003. We're getting towards the end of Torimon. Almost the fast. entire Torimon library yeah. is up on the network. Yeah, it's over 70 monthly episodes and they, they vary from like there's a couple that are 60 minutes. There's a couple upwards of 90 minutes for like especially the uh, Torimon X landing like they have the, or the Torimon X uh, Mexico show that they had with it. But it, it's something like 2001, especially for Masaki Mochizuki as they are turning in, into like 2002 and how wild that year is. It's. I feel like that as we're getting to this point where we're now in the anniversary month of the dragon system, uh, of the 31st with the 25th anniversary of the Japanese landing, 2001 was where things started to hit the stride. That 99, a lot of things like, and we've talked about that debut show, and so certain acts weren't necessarily ready for a prime time, but by 2001, everything was gelling on, in a fashion. Yeah, so this is 2000, but I there's a lot of 2000 stuff that I I rewatched because you get the beginning of M2K that year. Do you remember the angle where this is before Mochizuki Masaki Mochizuki joins them, but the angle where Susumu and Kanda turn heel? Yeah, it's because like they have and the uh, landing, they have the matches and everything like this, but they cl- but they slowly but surely start bringing the original tag team about. And yeah. it's something where I'm trying to think: was it, it against uh, was wasn't it against like Shima and uh, Sua that they snapped at a? I'm trying to remember what show it was that they snapped at. And so that- so what they do? So this is. The January 2000 Corkin, and on that show, right, it was Corkin. Yeah, so Shima invites them to join Crazy Max at the start of the show, and they do. And then there's a big six man tag at the end of that show. It's Shima, Fuji, and Makoto versus Magnum Tokyo, Tiger Mask, and uh, Mochi. One of the, yeah, Mochi. Thank you. Um, and so the match happens, it's it's a great trios match it's much better than kind of any anything they did in 99 uh it's a bad dragon kid match but is this wait hold on do i have the show i i don't i don't have the right show here is it 2001 that i'm thinking of i mean dragon kid by 2001's there he gets there by 2001 hold on one second here um no it, it, it is it is 2000 i was right so uh anyways they they turn heel uh they they come to the ring in their crazy max shirts they rip off their crazy max shirts they attack everybody with taru's bat and then ultimo dragon who is wearing a suit and a gold mask comes in yeah he comes in from from backstage yeah and ultimo comes in and does this like cleaning house special which normally you would think okay well it emasculates susumu and kanda but it's ultimo against susumu and kanda like they'll they they turn out to be okay they'll live and but it's the, just the, it's, this is also like the for the first time really putting his hands on people yes it's just so heated and so interesting and i really don't think there's anything in wrestling that feels quite like the the early Toriumon stuff and i think part of that is just because like, look at the landscape in 2000. You're, you're January 2000. You're dealing with New Japan and still uh, a Baba Masawa, you know, Kobashi-led 
all Japan. You're dealing with the establishment and Toriyaman has not proven, even though they, you know, they've drawn from day one. I won't go on that tangent right now, but you know, Toriyaman is still not proven. They're, you know, uh, certainly in the Island of Misfit Toys, you know, I, I feel like Battle Arts was, uh, you know, uh, going just as strong, or I, I, I don't want to say that, but you know, there's, there's old Puro still of the mindset, you know, it's hard hitting things like Battle Arts, it's the end of WAR, it's Wrestle Yume Factory, you know, and then you just have, you know, in the, the Lucharisu tree, you know, Hamada into Ultimo Dragon, into Ultimo Dragon's kids, and it's just such a shock to the system, and those TV episodes just have such an attitude about them that is really hard to explain, but you know it when you see it, and I guess in an ideal world, just for the sake of consuming content, Glate's kind of the newest thing on the scene. Yeah. And you would you would have hoped that they would have had some element of that, and yet they really have no element of that whatsoever. And it's a real bummer. You just, yeah, just the Toriumon stuff I think is so underrated and not enough people watch that sort of stuff. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We hype ourselves up thinking, ah, maybe I can pull a Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card. But with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view of all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now, when I buy Slab Packs at Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. I was able to open an Arena Club slab pack, and and I'll be honest, it was a lot better than what you normally do. Say you go to a card show, and there's a random innocuous brown bag of cards, and yeah, you can open it, and look, it's going to be junk. You're, you, you know what I mean? Like, you know what you're probably going to get in those. Maybe you find that fun, and sometimes I do. Sometimes I like just opening up cards and saying, oh, hey, look at some random cards or whatever. But if you're really in this game to, to find value and find particular cards, it sucks to have to buy these mystery packs, and it ends up being, you know, almost nothing. You know, nothing of value. Not with Arena Club. You get a display, again, of all available cards, hit rates, grading. So you know that when you're opening up the slab pack, you are going to get something valuable. You are getting something good. And Arena Club, in addition to having those great slab packs we just talked about, is also a marketplace for card collecting, buying, trading, selling, displaying, all that sort of stuff. But those Arena Club slab packs, man, they are revolutionizing the repack game with transparency. After your polls are revealed, they'll immediately be placed in your vault for safekeeping or trading and selling, and you can have them officially graded by Arena Club as well. So again, setting these things off, it's going to be officially graded by Arena Club. And the Arena Club grading process is accurate, fast, and transparent with full grade rationale provided and explanation of how your card was scored. So whether you're buying, selling, trading, or displaying, Arena Club is the card collecting platform that you have to check out. So right now, got a special offer here for Voices of Wrestling Network listeners. You can get 10% off of your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Now, that's a crazy offer. That's 10% off a $400 slab pack. $40 off right there. 10% off your first purchase. No matter what that purchase is, 10% off again that's arena club.com slash vow net arena club.com slash vow net for 10 percent off your first purchase on arena club and we thank them for sponsoring the voices of wrestling podcast network
You, you know what I feel like it is, especially like if we want to play with this idea a little bit, and I do. Uh, the the and I wonder as much of this because I still have like my my, my archive of Tori Mon stuff, which is the tape stuff off the TV where we would see the music videos and you would see like the intro packages, and it was a completely different sheen than everything else at that time. Totally. And I feel like this, like, you compare and tr- contrast that with Glate. Like, Glate does have my favorite tagline in pro wrestling, but they don't have it right now. Nuisance pro wrestling, but the intro video feels just like an intro video to an infinity. It's just, they show everyone like this. It's not innovating at a time where that was kind of what their conceit is, right? Like, Glate doesn't really innovate, and this is supposed to be, like, this idea of what Torimon did for what the TV products were of that time. Yeah, it's the interesting thing with Shima's career. And, you know, I get I get annoyed when people sort of hold this era of his career against him, because as I always say, you know, uh, we, we don't we don't keep Patrick Ewing out of the Basketball Hall of Fame because of his time on the Sonics. But, you know, you watch Shima and Michinoku Pro and then you watch him in Torimon and then you watch him take over Dragon Gate. And I think even through that first year, you know, really through the pandemic of post Dragon Gate stuff and Wrestle 1 and DDT and what he was planning on doing in Mexico. It seemed like he was always one step ahead and always looking for something new. And I think that's, what's so frustrating about Glate is it's not only not something new, it's a lot of old, it's a lot of old Drangate ideas that, you know, Drangate doesn't do anymore and that they have survived just fine without it. And it's, it's disappointing to see. And look, maybe he just, maybe he cashed in, maybe he doesn't care anymore. You know, it's obviously been a, a very tumultuous five years for Shima going back to when he left Dragon Gate. Maybe he just doesn't care anymore, but as somebody that has always respected his level of innovation and his level of care and the fact that, you know, you go back and watch even in Michinoku Pro when he comes into that company, like he takes over in a way that so few wrestlers can do where it is, you know, I am Shima and I'm going to be the main character from here on out. I just have that charisma and I have that talent and I have that desire. And even though, you know, he shouldn't be that guy and Glade's still doing that, but we know some of the power that he wields behind the scenes. And it's disappointing that no one in that promotion, even though I'll praise them in just a minute and, you know, Hayato Tamura in particular, no one has that. And I think that's a real bummer. Yeah. And it's something where I think that when you look at something like Shima, like I think that's honestly that there's two ways to go about it it is one he is presented as the tree chief strategy officer like the number one voice in the room is it something where his ideas are getting still kind of grown down a little bit in a way but i wonder how much that is actually happening as like my counterpoint to that is like you do have minoru tanaka he gets his own little special category as like the uwf rules officer he didn't do a great job of that We'll get into that in a little bit. <laughs> well, well, it's, we talked about this with Jay over the yeah. summer where it's like, you know, the Ledette money, I don't want to say money marks, but the people with money in Ledette, they're UWF fans. You know, there's yeah. a reason there's UW, UWF stuff in there, but their biggest stars are Stronghearts and they're probably paying Shima more money than anybody. So Shima is going to get his ideas heard. It's almost a little bit uh, compare in, in comparison to like MJF and Tony Khan where Tony yeah. Khan has this vision of wrestling that's very different from MJF, but MJF was your world champion. You had to go along with what he was doing. Right. And I, I think that 
in, in some ways, Glates kind of figured that out there because I mean, this is the promotion that it has uh, does have Kiyoshi Tamura, right? Like that 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 is like an aspect about it. Like you're absolutely right about the UWF like fandom about it, but also like like the other thing about like why is it not there? Because the person that would be doing that now is in his late forties and didn't even wrestle on the last major card of Glate's year. Yeah. Very strange. Real quick before we get to Glate, uh, if people want, I, you know, I, I don't know what to do with it because we're in a weird spot where like, we weren't, we don't do monthly Torimon audio and maybe we should, I, yeah, yeah, maybe it, this is something that we could talk about. <laughs> like, well, figuring, just like I, yeah. I would, I would love to know if people want Torimon content either on this show or written out, or even if there's just like if people just want a primer of stuff to watch on the network, like let me know because I really, it, I go through this every few years where I watch a bunch of it and then I move on from whatever reason I'm watching a bunch of it for, and then I come back to it and it's always just the same where it's just like man, this stuff is so good and. I don't think a lot of newer Dragon Gate fans like have the, I don't want to say the appreciation because that's going to sound conceited, but just, I don't think they realize how good like M2K was and Darkness Dragon was and young Super Shisa and then all the stuff that Shima and Fuji did and Ryo Saito during this era. There's just, there's a million different things that if you've never seen it before, but you're familiar with the casting characters of contemporary Dragon Gate, if you go back to any show from 2000 or 2001 or 2002, you're going to pick up on just a ton of different stuff. Like, oh, I didn't know so-and-so was doing this. I didn't know they had this skill. I didn't know about this feud. There's a million things going on, and more often than not, it's a positive when it comes to Toriumon. Yeah, I it, it's something where, especially now, the network... It's essentially going to be in the Dragon Gate era by the summer, I think. I'm looking at this here. So they, they'll have the December shows, and then they'll go right into the spring of, of, uh, of 2004. Like, they're going to be, by the end of 2024, like, we are going to be deep in the Dragon Gate era because there's going to be a lot of TV for them to put up from that era. Which so, will be fun because people will yeah. be able to see... But this yeah, is the time they'll, they'll be able to see in Toriumon in 2004. Wow, there's a lot of Agon Isu getting pushed really heavily, and then you'll see the change over to Dragon Gate, and you'll go, "Oh, I guess those guys are working opening tag matches now." And by the end of the year, they're <laughs> gone, and it suddenly makes a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, and, and it's something where I think that as we are getting into this year, like we have a lot of stuff that we're going to be like launching, and I think like a Toriumon guide at the very least, or a couple maybe episodes talking about like Torimon years might be in. Well, you know, you know what I'm working on. There's right. There's possible Torimon related content coming to voices of wrestling.com that I'm very excited about. It's I, I have to have a few more things fall into place, but I'm trying to, I'm trying to do something that would be very cool. And I hope that it works out. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so should we tackle this late show? Yeah, I, I feel like I maybe don't have as many thoughts as other people right, do yeah. on it, but no, please let's, let's talk about the, the relevant stuff from the show. Yeah. So that, that was actually a lot of my things. Uh, Glate version seven from Tokyo Dome city hall from the 30th. It's up on their YouTube streamed live, uh, 1507, uh, best, uh, Tokyo Dome city hall show of the year. And it is something where they've kind of completed all the big, the big stories and the promotion, like ending the year here, like they told the story and Hayata Tamora is the fourth 
G-Rex champion after defeating T-Hawk in the remax of their Glate version mega match. And uh, it, yeah, I, I think we should just kind of take it from the top right there. Uh, Can we talk th- about that number real quick? Oh yeah, 1507. Uh, best number for them. I, like this is actually a legit good number for them, I would say. Like I, I just have to wonder, and I don't, I don't know this. Maybe I'm way off base, but I would get the impression that Tokyo Dome City Hall is way more expensive to run it than is. Cork and Hall. So, uh, what I do remember from when it was launched, and incidentally, a lot where a lot of the higher ups of this promotion were also part of. Uh, I remember hearing at one point it was three times the cost of Cork and Hall. For and a- I, when, when, when was this building? built pre-covid yeah oh yeah no like i remember like the first big wrestling show there at least in the modern era was the uh uh, wrestle one launch show that's right that's right okay so maybe post-covid maybe they're desperate to get things in that building maybe maybe it's not three times as much but it's it's so strange to me to do 1500 in that building because was the crowd into it Yes, during most of the show, they were into it. But I also feel like if that show happens in Corkin and you put 1,500 people in Corkin, it's way hotter and it's way more memorable. Yeah, and I think that's something with Glate. I think that when you compare and contrast, like the artifice of Glate is very hard for it to get over. Like it has such a sheen on it that like, I think that like it's everything's like set up. They do the big opening intro a lot like uh, MMA where everyone comes out and they do like one promo and, and that there's like this and you have like the big farewell sort of things. And it's a thing that I don't know if it always comes across the way that they're attending, you know, because it, it, it more often than not, like when I flip this on, like I'm conditioned to it now, but in the first, I don't know, two or three shows I would sit down and watch. Like the thing that would get me is just, it is a weirdly sterile promotion that I feel like would be just as sterile in Corquin Hall. I mean, we saw how sterile they were for SP Thaku's uh, debut there. Yeah. I respect on one hand that they treat these big shows like they're running in super Saitama arena, which is where pride used to do their big shows. Mm-hmm. Right. But yeah. They're, they're wrestling in front of 1500 people, not 40,000 people. And that is the weird disconnect that I have with this group. I think where like, again, I would just love to know the financials behind it because they, they drew what is now recognized as a cork and sellout. I feel like the image of this promotion, they would have been better off just running cork and, and packing that building and having tomorrow have all these fans right up on him as he beats T-Hawk rather than in what is, I you know, a building that looks huge, but technically isn't. Yeah. And I think that the uh, counterpoint is like, oh, we have the videos and we have like the screens and like that, which then makes you wonder about the financials of that. If you're caring about that other than like ambiance and about ticket sales, because this building still is much more expensive than Corquin Hall. And you basically packed in a Corquin Hall uh attendance but it is at higher prices so there is that but yeah uh tomorrow is now g-rex champion uh i thought that at least personally for me this was i didn't like it as much as the verge mega match case did you because i i I was notable i felt like i was way down on this in comparative 
to everyone. Yeah, it, it's tough. I think my my thought process on everything on this show was like, man, I I enjoyed this show. I had fun watching it, and then I would read somebody else's thoughts on it. And I would go, oh, maybe I hated this show. Like, everybody else seemed to be way higher on it than I am. Even though, again, I enjoyed myself throughout. There are a few things that I wasn't super into. But, like, Chihawk versus Tamora, I actually liked this more than the Sumo Hall match. Because I went three and three quarters on that. I went four stars on the dot on this one. Very smart match. You know, T-Hawk has a miraculous ability to sometimes show up for these big matches and sometimes lay an absolute egg in these big matches. And T-Hawk was on, you know, it's odd to say, even though he's almost 15 years in his career, Mike, we saw a veteran T-Hawk performance. He helped guide Tamora exactly where he needed to go to get the story they were telling over. And it was well done. You know, I, I, I tip my hat to them, but I went four stars and I saw some people at four and a half, four and three quarters, just way, way higher than I was. Yeah, I was three and three quarters on this. Uh, it, it was something where for as dead as the crowd was in Sumo Hall, they were much more into it than they were here, which made me wonder if like if if the, the fans were a little bit beaten down by it. But they by the end of the, the match, like the, it was very firmly behind it. And T-Hawk, yeah, it. I have such an issue with T-Hawk because I'm enjoying him now in 2024 more than I ever really have since like his prime returning from excursion, at least after uh, the first uh, millennials run, the first eight to run. Like this is the T-Hawk that we wanted 10 years ago, but now he's done, finally done his homework. And yeah, no, I, I, I do think that Tamora has a certain kind of like, it, 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 I I don't want to sound demeaning, but like he's a beefy boy that you like seeing do beefy boy things. And T Hawk was able to really target the arm and work on that in a way that felt like was pretty satisfying when Tamora was raging and was able to finally put him away with Lariats. I think T Hawk debuted at Dead or Alive 2009. So it'll be, so. Yeah. it'll be it'll be 15 years in May. And I'm telling everybody right now, I am not doing a T-Hawk 15 article in the same way I'm doing a Mochizuki 30 article. I can promise you that, but it is, it's such an odd career because he has some really early young boy highlights. Like we watched that Dragon Gate versus Osaka pro show he two was years so ago fun in that he's awesome. A rookie. Yeah. Yeah. He, he's, I mean, he's a baby. He's like 15 matches in at that point. And he's super, super fun there. And he has the King of Chop thing going. And then he has the fake Naoki Tanizaki thing going. And, you know, all of that stuff is is good. I don't know if anybody pegged him uh, other than quite literally Shima as a, as a future Dreamgate guy at that point. But, you know, it was like, okay, he's a good guy. And then by the time I started watching Dragon in real time, he had just come back from Excursion. And you won't hear me knock Millennial's at all uh they they had their issues in terms of getting to the next level but that's a unit that existed for two years and i i really i really enjoyed the millennials i enjoyed t-hawk as a singles guy i enjoyed t-hawk and ata as a tag team i enjoyed the work that lindemann and flamita did in that unit as well just i i look at the millennials in a vacuum as a win but the rest of his Dragon career, it's, you know, it's Monster Express, which was a great unit, but he's a non-entity in Monster Express. And then it's he's Antios. a part of the worst time of Monster Express. Yeah, he just didn't. He It was even by that point, it was like, 
oh, he doesn't fit in anymore. He has nowhere to mm. go. And so he was in Monster Express until he turned heel. And that heel run is one of the worst things the company's ever produced. And then he he left. And I still think the peak of his career was Wrestle 1 because I maybe this is a hot take. I don't I don't know how you feel about this. I feel like Stronghearts era Wrestle 1 felt like a bigger and more cohesive promotion than Glate has ever felt like. So yeah, because you had a I, I feel like you had a simple thing going on there. Yeah, you know? it was it was under I, I understood what was happening and I, I didn't right. love all of it, but I at least understood what was happening. So T Hawk was the world champion for that promotion and it felt kind of big and it felt exciting because that era of strong hearts was really exciting. And once Russell one went away, yeah, you know, he, he, he bounced around with Shima and, you know, I would have loved to have seen them in AEW. I think he of Shima, Lindemann and T-Hawk, I think T-Hawk would have fared the worst of the three in AEW, but we never really got to find out. And I thought this G-Rex run was a mixed bag. You know, some really good matches. I loved him and Ishida and some matches that I wasn't into at all, but it closed with a guy who, quite honestly, wrestled like a 15-year-old veteran should. And he had a really good performance against Tamora, and I will give this company credit. Tamora is the guy that should have the belt. Tamora is the one thing that really feels like it's working. He's the one guy that has uh, charisma of a main eventer, whereas we'll talk about some wrestlers that I I used to think had main event charisma that no longer do in just a little bit. Uh, So I think they made the right decision, and I thought it was a, a match worth seeking out. Yeah, no, it, it's something where, like, T-Hawk has, like, this, like, kind of, like, over it vet has been all, was a lot of fun. Like, that was the thing. Like, I wonder, like, is there enough here where strong hearts turn heel? Because I feel like that that's what I want to see now out of him. I never thought I'd want to see another heel turn out of T-Hawk case. I, ooh, I don't, I don't know if I want that. I would rather, I would rather them do drastically different things. Where, wherein you can like T-Hawk and Lindemann can't team with each other next year. That would be interesting to me. And I guess one of them probably has to turn heel because as weird as it is, there are basically no gimmicks in this promotion. Like no one yeah. really stands out, which is funny comparing it to Torimon TV where everyone has their own thing going on and all of the units are super unique and distinct. And Glate is kind of like, here are some bulky guys, but even that is now past its prime. And here's a unit based in Mexico, but also Hartley Jackson is in the unit. But, but and, everyone who's around is native and it's completely like different thing when Flamita and the big Lucha guys are around. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and then, hey, and then, Hey, here's strong hearts. You know? It's like, <laughs> here's strong hearts. it's just the weirdest thing. Like, I, that's why I, I, what I almost appreciate about Kento and Takuma when they're in Glate now is like, well, they stand out, you know, it might not. <laughs> we could say that they stand out. Okay. <laughs> they stand yeah. out. Hey, should like... we just like bounce around with this one? Because like, I'm trying to say like, hey, talking about the, uh, how there's not a lot of identity, keep the belts on the Saito twins because there's no reason to get like for for them to have lost. Or yeah, that was, that was the right move. Keep the belts yeah. on the Saito twins. Let's yeah, talk yeah. about Kento and Takuma and then we'll talk about Ishida and Yamamura because I don't, I don't have real thoughts on the rest of the show case are you to tell me you have no real thoughts about international six-man tag colt cabana brandon cutler and kurashio tokyo japan defeating kaz hayashi the soon-to-be retiring kaz hayashi who i'll miss uh l lindemann and isei on azuka um i don't i did speak to somebody who knows cabana yeah and i said 
hey, what's the deal with this? And kind of got the in response of like, I don't know. I, nothing <laughs> about this makes sense. Like, I, I, and I, I, I mean, they were like, I'm not going to ask him. But just so you know, it's also weird to me. And I said, thank you. That's really all I need to know. Thank you. That's, that's I, nice to hear. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's wild. It, it, it's wild. And speaking about wild things not really making a whole lot of sense, Hikaru Shida's uh, Ledette UWF debut, where I think we all think she, she found out what she got herself into when she was in the ring. I am not going to say a goddamn bad word about Hikaru Shida. I have, I have no no ill will against her. I, was, I feel I feel bad she was put in a position that she shouldn't have been put in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She did not understand the assignment that she signed up for. But yeah, let's talk about Fight for Your Life. SBK and Takuma defeat uh, the bulk orchestra team of Kazuma Sakamoto and Chek Shimatani. The 630 splash that Takuma cratered poor Chek, our baby boy case. Uh, so, so, so compare and contrast, we talked about SB Taku's uh, debut in uh, Cork One Hall against Tamora and uh, Linda Men. Uh, not one that I was very fond of. I know you were even more uh, down on it than I am, but I, I guess, like, uh, what do we do about Takuma Fujiwara case? Because I'm about ready to just get the uh, write-off going. Well, yeah, I mean, it's what I it's what yeah. I said in the preview, right? And I, I don't take glee in it by any means. It's not something that I, I find to be enjoyable because, like, I, like it's funny. You know, I, I listened back to the award show we did last year, which, first of all, good audio. Uh, I don't like a lot of the things I do, but I really was compelled by our conversations at this time last year when I listened back to it today. But so much of that podcast, we spent talking about how... 2023 was going to be so awesome because Kento and Takuma were going to come back from Mexico. And, you know, we didn't really know what Takuma and Ishikawa was going to be at the time. We didn't know what the company was going to look like, but those guys were going to be back and everything was going to be okay. And, you know, so it's, it's very important that we never rewrite history and ignore the fact that for 2021, the end of 2021 and most of 2022, Takuma Fujiwara looked like the single safest bet in wrestling to become a future superstar. And part of that was he was incredibly athletic and had incredibly advanced body control for not only somebody of his experience level, but just somebody his age, you know, he's 20 years old flying through the ring with Diamante and seemed to know exactly what he was doing and when he was doing it. It was, it was really marvelous to watch unfold. The other part that made him so special was that he had, especially in the confines of Dragon Gate, this really likable, really relatable underdog charisma. And we could see it when he was in Mexico. We kind of learned, okay, he can he can not only be an underdog babyface, but he can be this really interesting sort of dickbag heel, and he can make it work. He can do both things, and that's what really excited me about him. And that charisma, forget, you know, the moves that he missed. You know, he took a big shooting star press from the top rope uh, to the outside and just missed and hit concrete, and it it was disgusting. He no longer comes across like a star, and it's really shocking to watch. We're a guy who just used to bounce off the screen and sort of collect eyeballs one by one throughout his matches. Everything he does is so vapid now, and it feels like it's in this vacuum, and it's almost like 
I, I don't know what it is. I can't really make a sports comparison to it. It's just a guy that had it, and now he seems to not, and it's really sad to watch unfold. You know what it is, and it's kind of like a feeling I get that is not the exact same, but when I think about it, it's not far off. Uh, I was someone that, was not able to really watch uh, CZW or Jersey All Pro and see that vein of North American junior heavyweights in the late 90s, early 2000s. I just didn't have access for that. So when I went back and reassessed this and was able to finally watch the stuff that I heard about as a teenager and as a young adult, like, this is the stuff you should check out. It just completely, I was like, this is it. This is really, like, the thing that everyone's pushing. But at that time, it was blowing people's mind. You know, Sanjay Dutt, like, those kind of stars, backseat boys, like Trent Acid, like they were blowing everyone's mind in that thing. And I kind of get that overwhelming feeling of, oh, this is what we're getting, or this is it from Takuma. And it's it's a bummer. It, it's something where I feel like that in a lot of ways, I thought that uh, SBK looked a lot better. He uh, it just he came off better. And, and yeah, said, he he came across and like I always I always want to be careful with this because I, I don't ever want people to think that we're down on them because they left Trangate. That is, no, that is irrelevant no. to both of us, but Kento came across like a working professional in this match. And Takuma, I, the CZW analogy is apt because you know, he like, he does kind of wrestle like a backstreet boy now Yeah, where yeah. it's just, it's just giant spot after giant spot. And there's really no connective tissue there. Yeah. And like, that's the thing that like, that was the sheen for him. And it was something where, like, I will say this, if uh, Takuma was in Dragon Gate, and hopefully, like, he was happy and all of that, I know th- what would be there, and that is the sheen of someone who feels like a like a modern pro wrestler. Yeah, know? he'd be having the, it, you know, he might not be in D-Courage, but he'd be doing the same thing that Ryoya Tanaka is doing right now. Yeah, so it, it, it's something where, like, that's where it's lost for me. And it's something where I hope it all works out. It is something where they are working now more dates for Glate in the new year. So I think that's probably like for the best because it does like I can't remember the last time other than like that one triple A taping. Like how many times do you see like mentions of like uh Kento and Takuma having matches in Mexico? I don't remember anything in the last quarter of the year. I think that like, they had like a triple A appearance and that was it. But it, it, it's something where like them, like I think that some of the regression for Takuma is and other than just vibes wise, like the sloppiness, I don't think he works enough, man. Like, no, it, because he that, like, that's the crazy thing about his timeline. You got to remember he debuts right. in November of 2021. He's in Mexico by June of 2022. He worked in Drangate for six months. Yeah, and that's still something like since then case, like still the overwhelming amount of his matches have come from that time. Yeah, of course. So it it, it it's something where okay, I so he last worked and of course this is uh uh Lucha Database, the 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 bots that Cubs uses and and gets us going with that. Uh he does work a lot of DTU. He has worked a lot of like that. It's just stuff that doesn't make tape. Yeah, that's interesting because I haven't I haven't seen a DTU match of his this year 
since January. That that super hype tag match where they ended up that you know they they worked that tag match in January, and then they went back to Japan. Riot, right, that was Riot because that was Radioactivo. Right. No, 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 no. This was um. Let me let me find it real quick because it was it was really really good. But we kind of thought this was going to be the last thing they did in Mexico. And this was at the start of the year. And if you remember when we talked to Jay, you know, Jay brought up that uh, Kento oh, was yeah. at yeah. Champion Gate. Right. Yeah. And, you know, but even by that point, you know, we, we've explained all this, that the, the issue that occurred happened in the spring. And we thought they'd be like, go at Dead or Alive. And, you know, they ended up waiting just a, bit, a little bit longer. But the match I'm thinking of was Arrow Panther and Fight Panther Jr. against Kento Takuma from January 28th, 2023. So that was DTU. And that was what we all thought was going to be their last match in Mexico. And it was great. It was like, oh my God, they're going to come back to Japan and do this. And it's going to be so awesome. And then that didn't happen. And I see on cage match, they've got more DTU dates, but I have not seen any of these make tape. And if they have, please send them my way because I'd like to watch these. Yeah. The last time that I'm seeing, and this is also again, this database that I'm certain like, you know, it does the best it can. It, the last time it's listed as air TV was in AAA was them and Carta Brava versus uh, uh, Mr. Iguana and Nino Amargesa. Oh, from... you're kidding. They, they, they wrestled those guys in AAA? No way. Yeah, 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 yeah. And a uh, lumberjack match in o- October. So did you see what they did in a riot in October? It was them and Galino Del Mall against Arez, Kratos and, and Prometo. Uh, Pro- I don't know how to say that. Um I'd like to see that, but Riot never releases their shows. Yeah, yeah, that's a bummer. Promedio, yeah. Promedio, yeah. Huh. Uh, yeah, so, <laughs> you know, Takuma Takuma looked the way that he did. He obviously had a few sloppy spots. By the end of the match, he was back on. The The takeaway for me is just that Chekshi Matani is, is such a workhorse and is so talented, and if there was one guy that would do the reverse Ishida and jump from Glate to Drangate, I would, I would hope that would, it would be him. I don't get the impression from what I know from the Drangate side that they want anybody from this promotion, both from a, both from a talent standpoint and from a political standpoint. I, I don't think they have any interest in any part of that, but check is quite honestly too good to just be doing Glate undercards. Yeah, like that's the thing about him and, and the tag team with him and Kazma. Like now that Hayata Tamora is uh, G Rex champion, like uh, check his tag team partner needs someone else to team with. I feel like he's fun with Kazma. Like that's a good act. I feel like like that should be the group that takes out uh, the Saitos if they ever were going to. It's a group that should be working everywhere, but there's just yeah. not a. I mean, there's not an ecosystem for it. you know check. I don't. I don't think due to his size, I don't think he'd get any real respect in all Japan, even if he worked all Japan on like a more uh, consistent basis. Right. Uh, you know, uh, he's not going to work Noah. You know, he's not going to work DDT. You know, it, it just there's no. Well, well, he's originally from DDT. Yeah, but does I. OK, you're right. He is. But does he still work there or is he just late full time? Yeah, he didn't work DDT. this no, year, no, so he's, he's not he's not he's yeah. not going to go back there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and even There's, all the DDT shows he worked last year were Gambari Pro. Mm-hmm. So, so he, like, has, he hasn't worked DDT proper since 2021. Yeah, it, that, and I think like that's kind of the thing for him is just like wonder uh, what gym he works for, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it's and, amazing, and, and it's it, not it, like a slight. It's just that's a reality. It 
there's just all of these different promotions in Japan. And I don't want to say they're all irrelevant, but it's just amazing how many irrelevant promotions there are. You know, that's like the fascinating thing about watching Nakajima leave Noah is, you know, regardless of what's happening with all Japan right now, which looks like it sucks, but it's such a blessing that he has decided to, for the time being, stay in all Japan and be an all Japan guy and not jump to new Japan because the ecosystem that we're currently in is like you either you're like a Jake Lee and you don't make a splash where you go because of the talent or the talented guys jump to new Japan. And it's, it's a real bummer. Uh, you know, we spent at this time last year, we were talking about the idea that Dragate had reached out to show from new Japan. And I would have liked to have seen what that would have looked like just because it would have been splashy and it would have been something different. But for a guy like Chekshi Matani, like there's just nowhere for him to go and it sucks. Yeah. And it's something where like, unlike, uh, strong hearts and t-hawk where it's just like all right we kind of need you to get away from this like this is the best thing going for him like he's not gonna walk he's not gonna cross the line so that is and it's something like when you like see him getting cratered by like what looks like the heaviest 630 splash in years you're just like oh man (laughs) that that was i'm glad you brought that up that was that was a rare shoot 630 splash yeah that sucked that looked like it sucked uh take to suck to give looked like it was a bad time for all involved uh don't really have a good way to uh segue case it's time for us to take our medicine and talk about the uh the match that bums us out uh taka your takahiro yamamura returned uh versus kaito ishida at late version seven he uh lost in 15 minutes 20 seconds to a half uh half tiger suplex and uh yeah, uh, Takahiro Yamamura is back wrestling. Yeah, you know, I think, uh, oddly enough, I think you and I are the wrong guys to review this match because I know some people that are not as connected to Yamamura's story, even though they do a very, I, I, I guess, good VTR is the word I'll use, you know, a very impactful VTR before the match that sort of walks you through the fact that he is lucky to be walking. And I saw some people way more into the match than I was. And I just, I, I could never get into it on an emotional level. It was removing Yamamura from the equation. It, it obviously makes sense as to why Ishida's in the match. You know, they came into Dragon right. together, partnership, whatever. But I, I hit a point in the match where I just hated Kaito Ishida because he was kicking a man that is nearly paralyzed just over and over again. And it wasn't like, oh, man, I hope Yamamura makes this comeback. For me, it really became like I bought in completely and removed, or I guess rather, you know, really dove into the idea of suspension of disbelief. And it just made me go, wow, I really hate Kaito Ishida right now. You know, I don't I don't want to see him wrestle. I don't want to see this. I don't want to see any of this. And so uh, it's not a match that I think you or I are ever going to enjoy. I, I think it's greatly irresponsible. and even if the quality of the match at various points was at a high level, and I understood the story they were trying to tell. And I, you know, I think for some people, the Ashita work really worked for them. It did not for me. It, this didn't feel like a celebration of somebody coming back from a, a career threatening injury. This felt like exploitation to me. Yeah. And at least for going through the ride with him over the last six years, it, felt exploitative for it. and it's just 
one of those things that like I can like enjoy it like especially like after seeing the video of like having like neck implants and all of that I'm like am I thought like maybe this is something where it's just a little bit too close and I'm just like don't really enjoy it can't really enjoy it uh seems to have gotten out of it uh okay uh it was one of those things that uh it it one of the things that that like shakes that that like shapes my opinion about this is case how long T Hawk sold Tamora's victory while uh, Yamamura being his kohai like giving him his the eyes like taking care of him it's like this guy essentially avoided internal decapitation for the third time and he's kind of catering to his senior who's selling that he got hurt after a lariat or two like what are we doing here. It, the thing with Yamamura is that, you know, it didn't just happen once. It happened twice. And the second time was, I, I don't think arguably, I think it was worse than the first injury. And so it just, you, yeah. there's no, uh, I can't remove myself from that. You know, I there remember is no when, removing yourself from it. I mean, yeah. it, it's something where like, it does not feel safe to watch this guy wrestle anymore. Like, I'm sorry. Like it, it, we aren't safety police people, but it's exploitative to have someone who's had two cervical dislocations like and have it a recurrence of that and then have their reunion match be with the guy that everyone who has been a dragon gate fan and an over generation fan as small as they are they exist and takahiro yamamura showed that in 2017 and waiting seven years for this match like this it's incredibly exploitative I mean, I remember when he came back to wrestle one, it felt really uncomfortable. And I would, I would have conversations with people that were just like, yeah, this is weird, right? You know, this, this guy got hurt really, really bad. This is, this is all really strange. And then he got hurt in wrestle one. And that was just so scary. And, it, you know, I didn't, I didn't think he'd ever wrestle again. I didn't want to see him ever wrestle again. And this is not rhetorical when I ask this, but like, what's the plan? Is he just going to wrestle now? You know, that's what I'm trying to, to get at when right. I say it's exploitative is what is, is Yamamura going to be your world heavyweight champion? You know, no, he's not, you know, because even if he was his body, it, it wouldn't hold up. Like, it's all just so silly. I don't think this is like, you know, th there's not a redemption arc here. I mean, maybe you can say it's a feel good moment for him to wrestle again, but I, I disagree to me. It was not a feel good moment. It made me feel very bad. And outside of that, yeah, I just, I don't, I don't see any long-term game there. And so I think they popped the house they were going to pop. And I would assume it's diminishing returns from here all out. If he ever wrestles again. And I, I don't know if that's the plan or not. Okay. So he's booked in the G rumble. He, he might be, in a world title match, the next Glate Verse showcase, because the winner of that Rumble goes on to face Hayata Tamura at Corcoran Hall. Is Yamamura from Osaka? Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. That's probably what they'll do. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah, it's not Corcoran Hall. It's Osaka uh, number two. Yeah, because so. they did that because that's how Ishida won the belt last year. I hate that gimmick. I that yeah. is that's like one of the only unique things they do, and I think it sucks because I thought the way Ishida got the belt last year was so dumb. Yeah, I mean, who would think that the person who thought about the Shima Royale after a decade of no battle royals would decide to do that to decide the champions again? At least uh, the uh, big Lucha guys will be back around uh, this month. Uh, it, it's something where, uh, so the the most, uh, I, I, and I'm trying not to be 
uh, tribal or whatever about this. Like the most insane thing about the show was the the oh we're getting a four way six man tag, and what it ended up being, you know, because you you had BGI in it, uh, Hartley Jackson, Keiichi Saito, and uh, Kataro Suzuki, the only people who are around in this unit when no one's from Mexico around, and boy, that's a dry trio and a bad trios match. Yeah, I it's uh. You know, I, I, there was a lot of talk over the last half of the year in Drangate of, man, they need a unit shuffle. You know, we need to we need to change things up. And I just feel like late at that Osaka show, they should just hit the reset button because nobody would notice. And maybe then you would have some more life there. But I, I, I think a lot about Ashita to sort of tie back into this match where, you know, I didn't think Ashita came across as a star in the Yamamura match. And at least from my perspective and what I like, the, it, that match certainly didn't help him become a big star. No. And I go back, I go back to his debut in Clayton where he felt like a really big deal. And it kind of felt like they got one over on dragon gate. And I was so curious to see where he went. And then they went with black generation and it was just like, Oh, this, I, everybody knows immediately. This is not it. This is not the unit that he belongs to. He has no ties to Mexico. This is just silly. And here we are. Uh, you know, a year and a half later, still having that same conversation. Yeah. And it's something where I don't know. It's some, each time I see him, I feel less and less that he is like a, uh, that he feels like a guy, I guess I would say. Used yeah. to, used to really feel like a guy, you know? And uh, yeah, you're right. He just, he does not anymore. He, it, and it was something that like when, when I'm like talking about like how exploitative it is, is it's just like this could have felt like a real moment and instead it's like okay these are photos in the pre-roll of these guys out to dinner because that's all we can show you are these photos of them out to dinner we can't show you anything else of what happened because we can't do that because that's not our company no and because you know Ashita wasn't in wrestle one so they don't even have that any of that footage to to show yeah not at all not at all it's uh it's a uh, it's a weird promotion it that that is for sure uh any other big takes here uh Really, like talking about getting emotionally affected, uh, really felt it uh, during the uh, Ledette UWF match with uh, Fujita Junior Hayato, getting to see him one more time. That, yeah, yeah, that, man, that that situation sucks. I, and it was something where, like, I feel like I'm a little bit more of a higher person on the uh, UWF stuff that they do. It's never, it, it, it's usually a comedy of errors for me, to be quite honest, because by and large, it's not very good. Uh, Fujita has been amazing when he's been in Glade and the match with um, and Minoru Taka- uh, Tanaka for the uh, Ledette UWF world title uh, uh, J- Junior retains with the KID and coming out it just like I I think this is his last match I, I think until he go- undergoes treatment right like is there like a big Michinoku Pro show like they already had their big end of the year show right yeah not that I'm aware of I think this was it for him yeah, but especially like coming out to I believe and all of that, that was uh, a heavy, a heavy thing. But like, I was glad to see, especially seeing the year that he had last year, ending out on a match like that felt really good. Again, I, th- I thought he was a top 30 wrestler last year, maybe even a top 25 guy. And, uh, you know, is the only guy to really bridge the divide between Glade and Draggy, which I think is a fascinating sort of trivia note to have as well. Oh, absolutely. So uh, any other thoughts on Glate version seven before we move on to the ultis? I-, I thought the show was good. I think they made the right decision with Tamora 
but I still I'm incredibly skeptical on most things with this promotion and my my enjoyment suffers. I just there's a lot of things that I feel they could be doing that they're not. And it's always very hard for me to overlook that. But I did think this was a good show, all things considered. Yeah, it it is something where when I kind of compare like their two year anniversary show and uh, the SB Taku stuff and Sumo Hall, this at least felt like that there wasn't like an embarrassment for them. I, and uh, by the by the end of it, I think uh, Tamora is the guy they kind of got to ride with. Like it's something that's very clear that the Dragon System, uh, the Dragon System well might have run dry, essentially for a late so they kind of need to create their own guys without stealing things from uh their old place of employment the 2023 alti awards are here mike this is the best of dragon gate in 2023 we have a number of categories we asked you the listeners to vote on i have tabulated the results of these awards mike are you ready to get into this let's do it Okay, I'm going to go in a bit of a different order than we asked the questions. I'm going to start with Rookie of the Year and sort of bounce around and do MVP and Match of the Year last. Is that okay with you? Oh, yeah. No, that sounds fine. And we'll go over what our personal ballots were before we get into the consensus ones as well. So Rookie of the Year case, uh, I had Ryo Tanaka as my Rookie of the Year with Yoshiki Kato, who gets in because he basically would have had like one month of a rookie year in 2021. So, uh, or 2022, uh, but uh, Kato was my runner-up in this category. How about you? I had Tanaka as my Rookie of the Year. You know, as people know, he debuted at the end of May. We we told you guys uh, before his debut, keep an eye on this guy. We think he's going to be somebody special. Debuted against Yamato and Osaka, which was notable, and kind of little by little got better and better and better. Wasn't doing anything super exciting, but also wasn't doing anything to hurt his reputation either. And then he joined D courage towards the end of the year and just took off. And November was really sort of all about him. And they had that great string of shows around Thanksgiving time here in America, where there wasn't a lot on the dragon gate network, but they ran a bunch of house shows and on those house shows were a lot of D courage, eight man tags or six man tags with Tanaka being the focus. And he really stole this away from Kato, who you had as your runner up, myself in the runner-up position even though he wrestled such few matches i had t and revolution because his debut match in september which is now one of those weird blips on the radar and i hope that uh that he's able to get himself back on track in 2024 at some point but while he was around that was that felt like something special was happening like we were about to witness something new and something exciting and then it just went away yeah, and I think for me, at least, this would have been essentially after the first week of September, uh, TN Revolution's war to win, you know, like it was that strong and it looked like it was going to be that strong as well. It just never panned out that way. We'll see how things are when he's back with it. Uh, talking on Ushiki Kato, it, it's something for him where he loses six months of his career due to a... Uh, vision problem and before that he really felt like this promising rare true heavyweight that dragon gate so rarely gets and especially one that kind of like isn't like a pushover heavyweight like let's be honest benke is a heavyweight but he doesn't kind of 
he's a heavyweight in the way that Dragon Gate guys will be technically heavyweights in times. Uh, Yoshiki Kato is a big guy, and it was nice to see him rebound from that. Of course, he came on like a supernova and uh, then had his eye issue and returned. And his heel turn with uh, Zebrats, you kind of see him gain into like the natural order of things for him. And it makes it really kind of exciting to see where he goes in the next year. How are the votes this year for Rookie of the Year? So for the consensus picks, uh, we, we asked you to give us a winner and then a runner-up in all the categories. For the winners, I gave them two points, and the runner-up votes were one point. So add those all together. And far and away from all of the categories, the biggest winner was Ryoya Tanaka for Rookie of the Year. He finished first. Yoshiki Kato finished second. Believe it or not, and he received no first-place votes, but so many second-place votes that he placed third. Daiki Yanagiuchi is your third place on Rookie of the Year this year. You know, uh, I think that Daiki is going to be a really fun person to see develop, see what he is when you get past uh, former Corquin Hall uh, custodian and that uh, Tobe, Con- uh, Tobe Suicida. But it, it, it's something where, like, I, I see it with Daiki more so than I did before. I really like the work that he did, and I was really excited to see him at Final Gate. He's the one that got pulled, right? Yeah, it was yeah because it was supposed to be him and uh, Nagano in that Final Gate opener, but he got pulled because he was sick and Sashihoko Boy came in. It felt like we were starting to get somewhere with Daiki and it just did not happen. So I look forward to somewhat of a character evolution. You know, I'd really like to see where he goes because he is probably closer in presentation right now to a Jan's family member than any oh, yeah. unit uh, any unit in Dragon Gate, which is not exactly the place you want to be. But he is... Look, when it's all said and done, Daiki Yanagiuchi is going to have some awesome Open the Brave Gate matches. You just be ready for it. Unlike K's. I feel like being a member of Jan's family would be perfectly great for Daiki Yanagiuchi because they're the best group in Glade. I, I didn't get a chance to talk about Jan's family during the Glade review case. Sorry. Oh, what a bummer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but it does not, must not feel good for Takanori Ito being in that opener, you know? No, no, I can't imagine. Uh, Mike, would you like to move into the stock up category next? Well, you, you know, I mean, today was the first day of the stock market in 2024. I would love to see how uh, the exchange was over the holiday. Yes. Yeah, so whereas most improved, which we'll get to next, most improved is uh, a look at more of the technical ability of who got better, literally, in 2023. Stock up, stock down. Uh, we have uh, awards for both of those is the way that the public perception or your perception has changed of these wrestlers over the last year. We, uh, you and I, Mike, did a stock up, stock down exercise for the entire roster last week, if you did not hear that. But Mike, who did you vote for your stock up runner-up and stock up winner? Well, just because the sheer force of his technical improvement, uh, Yozushi Kanda was my runner-up. I mean, this was his first ever open the twin gate championship run in his 25th year. And it was something where I think uh, a lot of people perceptually like kind of felt like he was done years ago. Like he joined M3K because of course he's joining M3K. It's Izushi Kanda. You're, if you're doing an M2K unit case, you need to have the K in there, but seeing him kind of reinvent himself and have a true Renaissance this year, put him in the uh, run up category. And, 
I've been shouting out this name from the heavens basically for three years now, Case. But the one person who is entering like this next year as the breakout star of the company and is the person that I think perceptionally has completely rewritten his career is big match Jack, Jackie Funky Kamei. He was my uh, stock up breakout wrestler of the year. So Kata was your runner up and Kamei was your winner, correct? Correct. Yes. All right, good. We have we have totally different names on this one. Uh, so my my runner up is somebody who uh, just because of the the loaded class that he was in last year did not get votes when he probably deserved some, especially in the rookie of the year category. And that was Mochizuki Jr. I thought Jr. was exceptional from the beginning of his career onward. I thought his first match was great, and I thought he only got better from there. And when Jr. was healthy this year, it really seemed like they were on the cusp of a guy that is going to be headlining big shows sooner rather than later. He is not, oh, yeah. a, he, he is not a Nepo baby. Uh, he is uh, every bit as good as any of the young guys on the roster. And Dragon Gate's never had a second-generation wrestler before, so you have the idea of young guys saying, oh, well, he only has these opportunities because of his name, and you have him fighting to prove that he's more than just a name going forward. I thought he was marvelous all year long. Yeah, you know, it, it's something that, you, you know when it, like, truly ascended for me for Mochizuki Jr. case? What's that? It was when he came out for a Dangerous Gate had his own gear. He had his own new version of the Yokosuka jumper. Uh, he came out to his own theme. He and he kind of got in the ring with a certain swagger that's like, oh, he's not just Mochizuki's son. Like this guy, Ryoto Mochizuki is his own man. And that that is something that, you know, that was such a big leap because I was right after he kind of did the captain's match uh, at the uh, Buyaden showcase. Yeah. Where it, it was something like coming out of that week. It was like, oh, he is not just like, okay, this the, the, this neat thing where he's a first ever second generation star. He was like the leader of the future army, it felt like. And that was such a cool thing that that's something for Mochizuki Jr. I would love for to see from him in 2024. I had eight matches of his at four stars or higher. And, you know, you have uh, the two really strong appearances at the Buyaden shows where you have... You know, he and, and Masaki Mochizuki and Leona against Fujita Jr., Hayato Strong Machine, Jay and Taro Nohashi. And then you also had he and Tanaka and Kato versus the Noah rookies in October. Both of those matches were exceptional, but he shined brightest in the father-son tag team. He and Masaki Mochizuki and Ray De Prejas, they had the match with Kaito Nagano and Yoshiki Kato on February 19th in Fukuoka. I had that at four and a half stars. I had those two versus Jason Lee and Jackie Funky Kamei at four and a quarter stars. And then right after the tournament, they had the Twin Gate match at Memorial Gate, where it was them against Big Time, uh, Big Boss Shimizu and Casey. That's one of the best Dragon Gate matches of the year. That's right outside my top 10, four and a half stars from that as well. So Junior is not only one of those guys that I think is, you know, when he's when he's on, he's to me the most exciting wrestler on the roster because I'm always seeing him grow and I'm always seeing him develop. But he's now high, having really high-end level matches too. And it's uh, it's something where I hope he gets healthy soon and I hope he stays healthy because he is such an asset to this roster. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So who was your uh, stock up of the year then? I got to be fair. He was my stock down winner last year. And I thought he stabilized his career 
and into 2023 in a much better spot than 2022 as coach Menorah. You know, he didn't do anything super spectacular. He wasn't the MVP of the company by any means, but he won King of Gate and just quite frankly did what he needed to do. And now I think they are back in a safe spot with him and his push going forward. And you've been, uh, I would say, out of the two of us, the big uh, defender of Kota Minora. I was. It, it is something where we, we both have our guys, and Minora has definitely, I would say, is yours. And it he felt like this year for Kota Minora, not just that he uh, got King of Gate and did a challenge in his own right, but in a way kind of became an adult in front of us. Like, it, it is something where gold class is this big, nebulous, weird thing that we kind of don't necessarily always love case, but we, but I feel like five years from now, we're going to like go like gold class is the most fascinating unit in Dragon Gate history, just because how much it bounced up and down. But we're now in a point now where gold class after almost two years of existence and not really finding itself, it's being forced to be this new rapper around Kota Menorah. And he's kind of taking it by the horns. Finally. It's the biggest challenge that he's had to face because he debuted in 2018. He doesn't have any direct contemporaries like a Ben K and a Shun or a, a Shun and a Yoshioka or, you know, going back to Shingo and BB Hulk. He doesn't have any of that. You know, he debuted in isolation essentially and progressed really quickly. It was blue chip prospect seemed to pass all of the tests they need to pass. And it wasn't until he got his shit rocked last year that he faced any sort of challenge. He needed that toughness. He needed that grit and he could have very easily folded and become, you know, just a mid card guy for here and, you know, uh, for forever this year, had he not stepped up to the plate, but he really stepped up and I thought he did a great job this year. So that was my pick for stock up. Yeah. And it's something where we kind of talked about someone who could have been the very much the test case of Kodaman nor and T Hawk. And it was very easy because T-Hawk's not the first of the failed Dragon System Maces. There's an article I did years ago about that kind of thing. And I really feel like a true like heading change where the, that fear is no longer there anymore for Kota Minora. And really put the best foot forward possible and intriguing to see where he takes it in 2024. As for the consensus, for the listeners of the Open the Voice Gate podcast, Mike... I regret to inform you we have a three-way tie for first place. All right. We're just going crazy on the voice gate exchange. What's hot right now? It is tied for first place. Coach Minora. Okay. Jackie Funky Kamei. As it should be. And Hyo. Okay. That's a fun one. That, 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 because let, let's talk about Hyo's year. Because he's had an interesting one. Because... It's basically he had his Bravegate run last year. He drops the belt to Jason and then is cast adrift a little bit, becomes final four, Mr. Semifinal and King of Gate. And then him and uh, and and Luis Monte reunite, big hug, the hottest thing in the company, and exits the con- the the year, exits uh, 2023 as Bravegate champion. I I see the logic there perfectly. Yeah, for sure. I think 
the only reason that you and I didn't vote for Hyo is that we were already such big fans of his. But if right. if you're somebody who wasn't into him in R.E.D. or Zebrats, but love the direction of Big Hug, this is the right answer. This makes total sense. Oh, yeah. No, no. As someone who was an IPO uh, investor on Hyo Watanabe, I'm glad to see people join me here. I should note, so three-way tie for first place, Hyo, Kamei, and Minora. There was a tie for second place as well, one point behind the three-way, and that was Luis Monte and Big Boss Shimizu both uh, rounding out what ended up being a top five there instead of a top three. You know what? You get those five stocks, Case, and you're going to have a pretty good 2024. I, I am I am with you there. I want to shout out the person that voted Naruki Doi as the winner for Stock Up. I thought about that because I love Doi's year so much, and he really impressed me this year, but I went with Minora and Junior instead. No, no, I I can see the logic about those. Like, that, that's the fun thing about this category is, like, you can make the case for it. As for stock down, I get the feeling we probably went in the same direction on at least one of these. Mike, give me your stock uh, stock down runner-up and stock down winner. So my runner-up is Ata. Yeah, I mean, like, it's just something where in this company, he just kind of is the biggest squandering of resources possible. Like, could have the world in his grasp, but he's more interested by going elsewhere and just not doing anything consequential here. Uh Really, his year, he was more involved than one would think, but it just never got out of the thing that whenever we see Eita on a Tokyo show or on a big showcase, what do we think? I hope he sells a lot of t-shirts. Yeah, because that's really the only thing of import about him. So, uh, runner-up, uh, my stock down case, uh, I treat them as a group, uh, SB Taku. I mean, I don't feel a reason for me to go back over the reasons why I think that Kento Kabune and Takuma Fujiwara are, I've sold my stock on at least one of them completely. But uh, yeah, stock down. You know, I didn't think about those two when I was filling out my ballot. And then as I was reading the results of this, you are not alone in that thought process. And I, I, I thought that was very interesting. So more on them in just a second. For me, my stock down runner up, I went Dragon Daya. And I talked about this a lot last week, you know, Dio was such a heavy focus last year, and I thought he did a very good job as one of the main characters of Dragon Gate in 2022. And this year, Kakuta obviously had the Dreamgate belt, so he became the focus of D-Courage. But Yuki Yoshioka did a really good job, I thought, of keeping his head above water and staying relevant, especially because he was taking so many pinfalls at the start of the year. And Yoshioka had this great in-ring year, and I thought he looked great and stayed kind of a hot commodity throughout the year. And Daya, just time after time, just let me down. You know, I thought his singles matches were a little disappointing, and I thought throughout the year he became the fourth most interesting guy in D-Courage. Yeah, and it's something where I've all... I've always had a little bit of trepidation with uh, unmasking uh, Dragon Daya because of being the dragon roll and no longer having the mask. Like he could get lost. And that is, I mean, you've, you've just made the case for him feeling lost. And it's something where it, there were moments where it could have felt like he could have done his own Brave Gate thing if he won at Dead or Alive, you know, and that would have felt like a little bit more of, of import. But you know, I feel bad for the guy because it looked like that they were going to get back to D-Courage Classic and uh, Yoshioka tears retina. 
Yeah, very much so. As I dropped myself onto the background, I apologize if you heard that. Uh, very much so there. So Dio was my runner-up, my stock down loser of the year. It was Ata, and that was the consensus as well. The thing that jumped out for me was Ata had no four-star matches this year. His best match, I have it three and three quarters against KZ in the opening round of King of Gate. But for Ata and the talent that he possesses to not crack the notebook, I find to be unacceptable. So your consensus pick was Ata. Second place, Kagatora. And third place, SB Kento and Takuma Fujiwara. Kagatora heads, get at us. Why are you down on your main man? Well, I, I brought this up last week when we did the full roster exercise. I asked you, I said, Mike, tell me something Kagatora did this year. Oh, yeah. You know, he it, it was, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, it, you know, he's such an interesting guy because there's a few years of his career where it's like, wow, Kagator is really in the thick of things. You know, he's, he's not a main adventure, but he's a guy in this promotion. And then there's been some years where he does nothing. And this was one of his nothing years. Yep. No, that's very true. And it's something where I just like, I, I think we see a, the, the path forward for Kagator. He's just not going to ever be somewhat consequence again. I feel like. No, because yeah. I don't I don't know where he fits in. I don't know mm -hmm. what they do there. Right. Yeah, I mean, like, that's the case with him. It's just, like, he's a Torimon X guy, so he's even older than, uh, uh, than Yamato. So how you make this work, he made sense, like, being Yamato's friend in high end, and that's not the world we, end in, we live in anymore, guys. No, it is not. Let's stick with individual awards here real quick. Let's do most improved, your runner-up, and your winner. Uh, my runner-up is Yoshiki Kato. I think that he was someone that, upon debut, what was the thing we said about Yoshiki Kato? He was a lot of fun, but boy, he does not feel like a Dragon Gate wrestler at this point. And lo and behold, by the end of this year, it's not that I feel like that he has the sheen and has the gloss of like a Dragon Gate's power junior heavyweight kind of guy monster. He's getting there, though. He's figured himself out. And it's something where he never really, like, lost matches and it's in, in ways where he didn't completely, like, lose things in ways that some of the other rookies have. I just think that Kato has just really taken to this heel world in the way that is going to allow him to further improve. And when I look at the rookies, Tanaka, like, yeah, he's great now. And he's so much fun to see. I always kind of feel like that was in there for Tanaka. Like there was a reason other than his good looks that he was the one that everyone's like, keep an eye on Tanaka. But uh, so Kato making those big steps in his rookie year, I thought was pretty impressive. And then literally the most improved wrestler in Dragon Gate in 2023 is, is Yazushi Kanda. Like there's no other way to put it. Like he is, he's the guy he, you look at what he did in 2022, look at what he did in 2023. He is literally the most improved wrestler of the year. Man, I can't get on board with that. I think it is dirty to call a 25-year pro the most improved. He is literally, <laughs> if you look at his match output in 2022, and he is called this year like his like his career year. He's having a career year. If someone's having a career year and it's this stark, then doesn't that make it an improvement on what they did the year before? I, I don't know. I remember I was laughing with Rich Krejci when the – the June uh, twin gate match happened where they won the belts. Cause I, I wrote this long piece about Conda 
essentially bearing the first 24 years of his career. And I tagged him in the review on, on Twitter. It was like, you know, was, you know, Yasushi Kanda career retrospective and Rich and I were just laughing about like, I just, I kind of shit on the guy <laughs> for like seven paragraphs. And then I go, well, he was great in this match, but I, I can't get on board with that. I had, I had Ishin as my runner up and Kato as my winner, but Mike, you are, in line with the uh, the consensus voters here. Yasushi Kondo wins your 2023 Ulti Award Most Improved with Strong Machine J and Yoshiki Kato rounding at the top three. Uh, Kato actually tied with Coach Minora for third place. Yeah, I mean, he's going to give a hell of an acceptance speech for the Most Improved Award because he's going to... I have some words for you. I just... I can't... I can't get on with that thought process, <laughs> but I, I see where you're coming from. Real quick... They just put out the the January Corkin cards. If you have not seen them, don't look at them. I'll read them to you at the end of the show. I have only seen the Mochizuki uh, 30th anniversary one. Okay. I've not seen right, the other one. Okay, I'll, uh, say, I'll yeah, say I'm just Hold off on those because there's some we'll interesting do. stuff there. Uh, let's go to best unit of the year. I thought this was uh, a, an interesting year for units because as the voter showed, things went in a lot of different directions. Your runner-up and your winner for best unit of the year. Uh, runner-up is D-Courage. I thought they had a very strong second year, uh, figuring, uh, adding in Kakuda. Kakuda kind of taking the focus away from the original two guys about it and the unit not really losing a beat. It uh, That can happen sometimes where the original leader or leaders are kind of uh, put aside when uh, new guys kind of come in and, and get belts. But I thought that they they've... The issue of D-Courage was that they were a trio, and you can't do a whole lot of things with trios in this promotion other than book them in trios matches. But when they got uh, Ryoya Tanaka, didn't it feel like D-Courage finally started? Like, this felt like not just like a second chapter of D-Courage. Now they feel like such a fun group because we're going to be able to see now what the idea of a Tanaka-Kakuda tag team is. We're going to get to see those fun things. So... D-Courage was my runner-up in M3K. Ah. I take my L on M3K, wanting M3K to be wrapped up and moved along because what unit has provided us as much highs as the Ray de Prejas finals? Well, such highs as uh, Congo versus uh, the original tag team. Uh, seeing the Mochizuki's tag team throughout the year and then seeing how things are starting to kind of not necessarily fall apart case, but we're seeing the, uh, the not necessarily the conclusion, but we're entering that phase of the M3K. And it's been so satisfying this year. And when I compare it to high end does not rate, they're not a, anyone who has high end on this thing's case, anyone vote for high. No, end? no, no one. Voted thank for you. High thank end. you. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Like, but, Natural vibes, I, I it's hard for me to go super high on them when I feel like they're kind of the same. And Zebrats has been a issue because of uh, not having enough people. That now we have uh, Johnny Villetta coming in. I have to say this is the first category that we've gone uh, step for step for. I had D Courage as the runner up, M3K as my unit of the year. I thought that was going to be a hot take. I did not think anybody else would have M3K that high, but you and I are not the only ones. A number of people did. But it is D-Courage in first place. They win the 2023 Ulti Unit of the Year. Natural vibes in second, narrowly edging out M3K. But you and I are on the same page. I thought M3K was the best thing in this company this year. Yeah, it's just something where, like, as we got to the end of it, case, I just was like, oh, M3K is the best unit of the year. 
and I just had to go that way. Yeah, I look, I, I've been high on this unit since their inception, since I saw the just the way that Mochizuki Jr. jumped off the screen, even from his first match. I thought, oh, I, I love this concept. This is a new spin on M2K, which they had already done so many spinoffs of. But this one really feels like it has life and it has a purpose. And I'm a huge fan of what they are doing there. So other than MVP, which we'll get to in just a second, that rounds out the individual awards. Let's talk and the the wrestler awards rather. Let's talk about small show of the year real quick. Uh, we did not clarify necessarily that uh, this did not include Cork and Hall shows, but we factored Cork and Hall shows into the main show of the year voting. So if you voted for Cork and Hall here, it was put into the main show pool. Mike, I think I know where you went with this. Give me your small show of the year runner up and small show of the year. Yeah, uh, that's on me. Uh, we have a new rule going forward in 2024. If you do not hear Jay's voice, guess what? You're watching a small show. because Or, more or Memorial Gate, but I can't imagine we'll ever have a <laughs> Memorial Gate that factors in. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it, essentially, all the prerequisites, it's on YouTube, has one camera, it's a small show. But my small show of the year runner-up, Buyaden Zero Volume 2 case, and it was something where... At least for me, I was so excited to hear Boyadin uh, returned this year. It's something, it, it, it's one of my favorite kind of just ephemera around Dragon System. And boy, did it not really disappoint whatsoever. But I thought that after a fun year of shows that the strongest ones, at least for me, was this second show. I felt like that this one really got got over the line for me at least a little bit more so than maybe volume one or volume three. And then my number one, one case we talked about this match uh, or, or the show last week, uh, this was from Gifu uh, prefecture. This was the King of gate, uh, 2023 night nine Konamawa Ichikawa, Yuki Yoshioka and Kota Minora homecoming show that case. I'm just going to read my star ratings for this small show here. Uh, this is on YouTube and they have four matches up for it. Three and a half, three and a quarter, four and three quarters, and four, and four flat on a house show. No matter what, that had to be my small show. It's one of my favorite things of this era of Dragon Gate. I just thought that entire show in that cool building, it was stuffed to the gills. Everything about it was just great, and it felt hot, and it felt special, and I just really, really enjoyed it. That is... Uh, my vote as well. That was also the winner for this category. My runner-up real quick was the Genki Horiguchi 25th anniversary show from November that had Genki, Dragon Kid, and Ryo Saito versus M3K in the main event. It also had Shun versus Jackie Funky Kamei and Yuki Yoshioka versus Jason Lee, among other things. I thought that show is the way that TV wrestling should be presented. It was a quick two hours. Everything had energy. Everything had purpose. And I just really, really loved that show. So those were my two votes. But the winner, like I said, was the Gifu show from 723. Second place was Buyuden 1. And tied for third was Buyuden 2 and Buyuden 3. I mean, the one thing we hope for for 2024, more Buyuden. I mean, geez, I'm looking at number two once again because it makes me very happy because that was the introduction, above all, MMA Minorita. That's right. Oh, man, I really enjoyed that. Yes, yeah, so a Buyuden one, just for a reminder, 
Uh, they had Sato and Kawamura versus Punch and Yamato in a tag match. There was a Kikutaro comedy match. Uh, Jun Kasai and Takashi Sasaki wrestled Sumimo Chizuki and Yasushi Kanda. Masato Tanaka and Takuya Sugawara wrestled Don Fuji and Madoka Kakuta. There was the sixth man that we talked about earlier with Hayato, Strong Machine J, and Taro Nohashi versus Leona and the Mochizukis. And then your main event was the Twin Gate title change with Kano and Kondo versus Shimizu and KZ. That was a that was a fun show. All of those Buyuden shows delivered. Buyuden's best. I mean, I just... I, give me the money, Sponge Guy. We're going to do Buyuden uh, USA at the uh, Russell Revival. Or the what, what would they call the the the, uh, the the IWTV show they're doing over WrestleMania? Oh, I don't, I don't know. I I I mean, we're gonna be up in uh, words uh, machine territory. It's gonna be like real core base, basically. I look. There's not a small enough building you could run for Booyah in USA and you and I would love it, but I there we set up 10 chairs around the ring and we, and we can only hope it sells out. Uh, it's either this or Mutoha USA case. One <laughs> or the other. <laughs> Let's do show of the year here real quick. These were Corkin shows and big pay-per-view shows. I should note all the Corkins canceled each other out in the consensus voting, but what did you have as your top two? So, uh, it, Really, I think you can go either way for this. It's basically what cup of tea do you want? Do you want the Dragon Gate Dream Gate match or do you want the cage match? I went for the Dragon Gate Dream Gate match and my show of the year was Dead or Alive and my runner up was Kobe World. Yeah, it's weird. You know, I voted Kobe World my show of the year. I had the July Cork and show uh, from July 7th, the King of Gate opening as my as my runner up. Kobe was a a very good show this year, not on the level of your classic Kobe worlds. And I think that's mainly just because the Dreamgate match was what it was. But when you go back and look at that card, you know, it's the cage match, which was great. It was the triangle gate match with gold class and natural vibes that I thought was spectacular. Hiromu and Yamato was just okay. M3K versus gold class was, uh, you know, it, it certainly served a purpose. Uh, Shingo versus Ichikawa was great, and I really liked Ishin versus Jason Lee on that show. It was a show that probably should have been better, but the main event was so good that uh, I still have very fond memories of it. Yeah, it's something where they held the Steel Cage Survival card for the right time, and especially the one for Monte. Like, it, it is something where, like, and I think that's the frustrating thing a little bit about 2023 and Dragon Gate is they're arguably two biggest shows of the year. I mean, Gate of Destiny is traditionally seen bigger than Dead or Alive, but everyone knows Dead or Alive cage match, even though Dead or Alive cage match didn't happen this year. But you're, you're, you had a very satisfying world title match in Dead or Alive. You told the story. And then you have the cage match, and those are really... I feel like from the big match standpoint, at least when you look outside Dragon Gate fans, I would say. As for the consensus, and I agree with the points you made there, your winner is Kobe World. Second place, Dead or Alive. Third place, Gate of Destiny. Like I said, th- there everybody voted for a different cork and show. There was no, it was like a like in match of the year voting for Voices of Wrestling when all the good G1 matches cancel each other out. That's what happened here with cork. It was some people like December, some people like July, some people like March, some people like February, some people like April. It was just a mess all over the place. Fair enough. I mean... I didn't hear anyone really caring for the October Corkin. Uh, that got, I think, one vote. 
All right, so we have one punch respecter amongst us. That was let me let me double check here. Yeah, that got one vote. It's interesting just what what kind of trickled in there. So uh, that leaves us with MVP and match of the year. Let's do MVP first, Mike. Give me your runner up and your MVP. So uh, my runner up was Madoka Kakuda, and what it really boiled down to, at least for me, case, is that when I look at the big picture stuff, uh, who was the person that it really kind of went to? And when I looked at my uh, matches of the year, it kind of came to a point where I had to talk myself out of having uh, Shun Skywalker as my MVP. And eventually I came to the conclusion that he main evented Kobe World. He main evented Dead or Alive. He main evented Final Gate. And I think you look at those three main events and they look a lot better than the big five main events that Madoka Kakuda had, which, oh, wait, did not main event the biggest show of the year. So Shun Skywalker ends up my MVP this year. I think that it just is something where I'm going to walk away from this year. And other than the fact that they told a story from Madoka Kakuda in 5523, was as good of a way to tell that story in a satisfying manner. I You still have the baggage of the next uh, seven months around it. So I think that they're really, it, it was Shun Skywalker's award in my mind. For all the reasons you just laid out, I did not vote for Madoka Kakuta. My runner-up was Luis Monte. And Monte was not around the entire year, had two different injuries he had to deal with, and then time off after those injuries to go back to Mexico. But I love it when a story is told in a satisfying way. And I think from January to July and July to December, they told stories with Monte that I really, really enjoyed, and I think they stuck the landing there. Yeah, and I think Akuda is flawed enough that I think you're completely legit with that vote. I think that makes a lot of sense. My MVP was Shun Skywalker, not for the reasons you laid out. And I think you did a great job of highlighting the fact that he did headline three of the five biggest shows of the year, plus a champion gate. And he was on top at Kobe World and not Madoka Kakuta, which is interesting. But I think the, the feather in the cap for Skywalker this year is his absence was really felt in the heel unit and in the overall state of the company. It's why I am so high on him, not only as an in-ring wrestler, but just as an overall character. This promotion is just better when he's around. It is better when he's involved. It is better when he is doing things and active and touching different parts of the card. Skywalker was brilliant in everything he touched this year, but it really made me miss him when he was gone. Yeah, and it's something where... That's why we had that like intoxicating pull of why not we put the belt back on him at final gate, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Like, th th there was still a, a, a whole lot of gas in that tank. As for the consensus in your 2023 Alti Awards, third place, there was another tie. A lot of voters this year, but a lot of ties. Very strange how that worked out. Big Boss Shimizu and Jackie Funky Kamei, they finished tied for third place. We can talk about that in just a second. Second place with the most first place votes, but not the most votes overall. Second place was Shun Skywalker. 
And your winner, MVP 2023 Alti Awards, was Madoka Kakuta, narrowly edging out Shun Skywalker with more total votes, even though he had less first place votes. And I think that it kind of is the story of his 2023. That really, right? it really yeah. paints a picture. Yeah, no, it's perfect. Uh, yeah, Shimizu having six months of the promotion basically being put on him, uh, I thought totally viable. And yeah, that I, makes sense. And Jack, I think, especially like, I don't think I could have put Jack as an MVP candidate just for the year he had in comparison to the other two. But when you list out results and when you list them in a row, he did kind of have a third place year, you know? Of the way we do these categories out. I I feel pretty strongly that at this time next year, we'll be having a much deeper conversation about Jack as a possible MVP. I didn't see it this year. I thought he was great. Look, I, I'm, I'm all aboard the Jackie train. I didn't think he belonged in the conversation this year, but I think he will absolutely belong in 2024. Yeah. Uh, before we get into top 10 matches case, did you have predictions for 2024 or do you want to do those after matches? Let's do those after matches. Okay, cool. It's just because sure. we, we have, we have some uh, beginning of the year and end of and mid year, rather beginning of the year and mid year predictions that we made that we can talk about as well for match of the year this year, Mike, we're going to read our top 10. Why don't you read 10 through three on your list? If you have that ready and then we'll pause and then we'll discuss the top two after I read my 10 through three, okay? Uh, y- yes. Uh, one thing, I just realized I had nine. So can you go first? If you, <laughs> I you absolutely, don't mind? I absolutely Because can. I have like a list of my top matches that are literally the top 10 things, but there's so many ties that ended up being that I cut one too many. So no, you're, right you're, you're all good. That is okay. So my number 10 match of the year was D-Courage, the full army with Tanaka, Tanaka's debut in D-Courage versus KZ, Jackie Funky, Kamei, Jason Lee, and Strong Machine J. That is from the November 9th or Corkin show. Number nine, Big Boss Shimizu versus Coach Minora, the August 3rd King of Gate final in Corkin Hall. Number eight, Coach Minora versus Madoka Kakuta, your number one contendership Dreamgate match from the April 5th Corkin Hall show. Number seven, familiar names here, Big Boss Shimizu and Madoka Kakuta. That is from Gate of Destiny on November 5th. After that, number six, Coach Minora, Mendoka Kakuta, and Shun Skywalker versus Ben K, Strong Machine J, and Yuki Yoshioka, the Reiwa Six match from May 11th in Cork and Hall. All of these matches, by the way, until otherwise noted, are at four and a half stars. Number five was Madoka Kakuta and Yuki Yoshioka versus Susumu Mochizuki and Yasushi Kana, the Ray Day Parejas finals from March 2nd of this year. Number four, Shun Skywalker versus Yuki Yoshioka, the Dreamgate title change from January 12th. And my number three match, Kano and Shuji Kondo versus Susumu Mochizuki and Yasushi Kanda from June 2nd. I had this at three and three quarters, or sorry, four and three quarters. It just did not make the cut. So my number 10 match of the year is from Gifu, uh, Sakura Chikawa's homecoming match that had Fuji, Don, uh, Don Fuji, Dragon Kid Yamato versus Zebrats. All of these, with the exception of my top match of the year, were four and a half stars case. You see how I managed to get myself met, mix up here with this. Uh, match nine, uh, D-Courage uh, Atomicos versus Natural Vibes from November 9th. Uh, match eight is the Twin Gate match from Gated Destiny. Susumu Kanda versus Yoshioka and Daya. 
match eight is the i'm sorry match seven is the king of gate finals big boss shimizu versus kota minora again four and a half stars uh match uh six is the uh, reiwa new leader six man tag from 511 match uh five is the uh twin gate title change kano and kanda versus kanda and susumu match Four is uh, the Dreamgate title match on Madoka Kakuda versus Big Boss Shimizu. And then match three is Steel Cage Survival from Kobe World. Very, very interesting. My top two match of the years this year. My number two was the aforementioned cage match. Your number three, the five-way survival cage from Kobe World. And my match of the year for Dreamgate this year, Shun Skywalker versus Madoka Kakuta from Dead or Alive 2023. So, Case, that was my number two match of the year, was the uh, Dead or Alive uh, title change, Shun Skywalker and Doka Kakuda. However, my match of the year was the Rey de Parejas finals, uh, Yuki Yoshioka and Madoka Kakuda versus Yazushi Kanda and Susumu Mochizuki. Uh, this is uh, four and three quarter stars, my only four and three quarter star match in Dragon Gate this year. The, you know, that match is so funny because you reviewed that Corkin show. I did not. And so I watched it because I, I remember I had to go to a wedding that weekend. So I, I watched that match a little bit later than everybody else. And I loved it. You know, it was top 10 match for me. And I just I, I feel like I need to go back and rewatch it because, Mike, the consensus shows that your Ray Day Haas final was the match of the year, followed by Kakuta versus Skywalker, and then in third place, Kano and Kondo versus Kanda and Susumu. Good performance for Shuji Kondo in 2023. Absolutely. Finishing on the podium match of the year in Dragon Gate. Who would have had that? Uh, look, that is that is a personal favorite match of mine, and I really haven't thought about my my global top 10. Even I mean, though other than number 10. Other than number 10, which we're going to do, the, the Ichikawa anniversary match. Mm-hmm. I, look, there's there's the two five-star Osprey Omega matches. There is, I'm trying to think, like, Dan- the first Danielson-Starks match. I got to include that. Osprey versus Naito from the G1. I gave that five stars. I, the, the, the condo match is going to be top 10 worldwide for me because it's probably going to be everything I just listed. And then... Um, the uh, the Cibernetico from CMLL I thought was the best CMLL match of the year. That's probably my top ten right there. Hmm. Yeah, I've got. I like that of... Cibernetico match better than everybody else. I went four and three quarters on that easy, and I don't think anybody else was anywhere near that high. But I thought that match was uh, fucking awesome. I I need to go back around because that because CMLL is my blind spot before Rich sends out those ballots. I need to get there, to there's that. There's a ton of high-end stuff from there, but oh, like yeah. I, I, I like that the best. I, I don't know. I thought that match, there was so much talent in that match, and I thought they all looked great. No, uh, it, it, and I love a Cibernetico, especially, like, I like a match with a lot of rules if they stick to the rules and they do it well. You know, like, that's always the thing about war games. Like, people just fail war games matches. Like, it's not complicated. It's just follow the rules. And if you follow Cibernetico, it can be a lot of fun. That was the match where I really thought, and this rightfully annoys some people, but I thought, man, TJ Perkins is one of the most talented people in all of wrestling. I just, I really, I think there's very few people on his level. And that pains me to say it because I think we, like, I would find him to be super annoying if we knew each other, but I don't think there's many people more talented than him. 
I knew you were going to bring that up. I knew it was going to be TJ <laughs> Perkins. Like it, it, I would have put money on that. <laughs> um, are you ready to talk about some predictions real quick? Absolutely. So I have our predictions that we made at the Kobe world preview show earlier this year. Do you have the things we did from this time last year or no? Yes, I do. Uh, we did make uh, two predictions for uh, 2023. Uh, we did at the uh, tail end of last year's show as I pull up the wrong Google document there, but that's no problem. I'm going to get to that right there. I have our 2022. All right. I have mine. I don't yeah, have you, your... you I, I, I did not. I did not find mine anywhere, but you have yours. Dang. Sorry. That's okay. No, that's that's my fault. I, I, Mike and I had this big conversation before the show. I can't find my notes from last year's awards anywhere on my computer, and it's driving me nuts. So I don't have my predictions from this time last year. Yeah, and we need to. I, I need to go back and transcribe it so we can have a full awards thing for it. So my two predictions for 2023 from 2022: Ata SBK Takuma Nishikawa unit next summer. Yep, there's that L. Yep, that's not happening. However, oh, the, the the conversations about Ata doing Mexican Mochizuki Dojo. Yeah. Oh, gosh. it was just uh, we we. I mean, big hug and revolution. That could happen, but I just who knows how long uh, Tian's gonna be out that knee. Like it's, I still haven't heard anything since that one medical report about no, him. No, so. no, it's uh, ah, uh, we just uh, what what could have been. Yeah, I didn't even see him do like a New Year's tweet, and that usually you will see a New Year's tweet. You know, he's he's been entirely offline since he got hurt. It's funny you noticed that because I just went through his Twitter a few days ago. He hasn't liked a tweet since he got hurt. He hasn't tweeted since he got hurt. There's it's radio silence on his end, which I think is intentional. I, I think oh, yeah. they're telling him to not do anything. I mean, Dragon Gate and going to ground for someone when something's up. I mean, name a better pair. Yeah, absolutely. So that was your your first prediction. Eita, Espy Kento, Fujiwara, and Ishikawa in a unit. That did not happen. But Mike, you got a prediction right here. Yep, one big show above 5,000 because of restrictions being lifted. Kobe World was over 5,000 tickets sold. Announced. So I nailed it. I got one. I did it. Let's hear you, it. You nailed it. That's that's well done. That's very, very well done, Mike. I, I mean, it's it was just like reading the tea leaves now. Uh I'll say I do not have an attendance prediction for 2024. Not going to do that again. I, I called my shot once. No reason to go again. No, I, I'm, I, after Final Gate, I have no idea what to expect. But, you know, you got, you got Luis Monte as the champion now, and I think that offers a very interesting challenge going forward. I look forward to seeing how they can combat that. As for our mid-year predictions... This is what we did on our Kobe World Preview Show. Mike, do you want me to read the three that you had? Yeah, because they didn't happen at all. <laughs> they did not. You predicted that Diamante would unmask, which he did, but that he would join Gold Class, which did not happen. You also predicted, and these relate to one another, that there would be a near-complete unit shuffle and that KZ would finally win the Open the Dreamgate Championship, but he would do it as a heel. Yeah, I was really banking on the unit shuffle. Didn't happen. It did not, and uh, I, I, I cannot fall for this again. I am not predicting a KZ heel turn in 2024. That <laughs> has become the Shibata will win the G1 of Dragon Gate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're done guessing if that guy's ever getting the belt. 
Nope. As for me, I predicted that Shun Skywalker and Yuki Yoshioka would win the Twin Gate Championships by year's end, that there would be a Shun Skywalker, Yuki Yoshioka, Jackie Funky Kamei heel unit, and that Jason Lee, who came into Kobe World as the Open the Brave Gate champion, would still be Brave Gate champion. He would lose the Brave Gate belt a week after we recorded that podcast. I mean, usually it takes us more than a month for these to turn out wrong. I just assumed that at Kobe World, Yoshioka would lean heel and that we wouldn't have this awkward Kakuta Yoshioka babyface versus babyface match and that that would lead to him going back into the arms of Skywalker and that they would coerce Kamei to come with them and none of that happened. Man... Maybe we'll get it right this year. Uh, I'll lead off my predictions. Yeah, I've got I've got three of them. Okay, uh, I have two because we did two last year. Yeah, yeah, please. I, I will think of another one uh, in a second. Uh, first off, this is my safe one. JFK Bravegate. I think okay. it's going to happen. Absolute boy is going to get the absolute belt. I think that's a very safe pick. That would be like a minus 600 odds on that on DraftKings. Hey, that that was like picking Kobe World above 5,000 going into uh, 2023. <laughs> uh, Nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Uh, another one. Uh, or did you want to know my uh, plus 5,000 uh, when I became a uh, George Russell F1 fan because I put a dollar on him when he had plus 5,000 odds and he almost won a race? Please. Yeah. My plus 5,000. Someone crosses the line in the other direction. Glate 2 Dragon Gate? Yep. yep. I, I I almost wrote that down. I like where your head's at yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I, I'm not going to guess who. I'm just going to say someone crosses that line in reverse. And here is the one I really hope happens because this could get really spicy. We're going to get an Apuestas match in 2024, case. Uh, it is a name Apuestas. Oh. Mochizuki. Contra Mochizuki 2. God, that is so good. And that is right in line with what I am thinking. So I will I will bow down and give you full credit if that is what ends up happening. As for my predictions, I'll start with the Mochizuki-related ones because I have that Masaki Mochizuki and Mochizuki Jr. will, one, win the Twin Gate Championships. That is prediction number one. And two, that Mochizuki Jr., will turn on Masaki Mochizuki and join a heel unit with Yoshiki Kato and Ishin. Oh, I love it. Yeah. Yeah. I wow. think I think he's going to get fed up of uh, a, a not-so-hip old man, and I think he's going to uh, be succumbed to bad influences. I think we're at that point in the Mochizuki Jr. lifespan. Hey, I mean, his dad, all he does is post photos of the dog. That's like, right. Never, <laughs> ne- never him. Always the dog. <laughs> my uh, my plus five thousand, if you will, uh, prediction for twenty twenty four is that by year's end, open the Dreamgate champion, T and Revolution. All right, okay. I like that as a plus five thousand because there could have been an argument, at least as of. September 7th, 2023, that that could have happened. Like, like it, he just comes back and just takes the belt by acclamation. Like, it, it can happen very I, easily. I don't think this is going to be a deal where when he comes back, he's eased into things. I think they are picking up right where they left off. No, Yeah, it's something where, if anything, 
the clock is even ticking faster. I feel like because he's older, you know, he's all he's he's closer to 30 than he is 20. Yeah. And I mean, he is someone who I, I you know, he it, he does feel like someone who looks like he's 40. You know, yeah. he does have the energy, <laughs> but, which is a good which is a good thing to have. Hey, I mean, if you have the energy that you're 40 when you're in your 20s, then what do you got to fear when you're in your 50s? Absolutely. So those are our predictions real quick. Just to summarize uh, your winners for the Ulti Awards this year. Ryoya Tanaka, your rookie of the year. Hyo, Jackie, Funky, Kamei, and Coach Minora, a three-way tie for stock up. Ata, your winner or rather loser for stock down. Yasushi yeah, Kanda, your most improved, which I think is messed up. Literally is true. <laughs> Decourage is your unit of the year. The 723 Gifu show is your small show of the year. Kobe World, your main show of the year. Your MVP is Madoka Kakuta, narrowly edging out Shun Skywalker. And your match of the year is the Raid Day Parejas finals between Susumu Mochizuki and Yasushi Kanda versus Madoka Kakuta and Yuki Yoshioka. It's a good awards list, and it's my favorite show we do every year, man. Like, I'm glad that we've gone through another Ulti Awards, and it's something where, you know, Dragon Gate doesn't really ever do anything over New Year's, so it's kind of, it feels right for us to do the awards when everyone else is, I don't know, having failed Suns fight for the Triple Crown. <laughs> or wrestling with a broken ankle on a big show. Yeah, man. I, no, I'm saving that for tomorrow. I, <laughs> if you, anyone who who saw a great version Mega should did, you can't be surprised about this. He's been this way ever since he returned. Like very I, I, much so. Ugh, sorry, don't get me angry about Kota Ibushi and people acting only now. Like time caught up to. Him. Absolutely. So real quick before we go, can I read you these Cork and Hall shows? Absolutely. Please do. All right, January 10th, this is the Mochizuki 30th anniversary celebration. Match one, Luis Monte and Hyo versus Kagatora and Ryoya Tanaka. I'll go all the way through, and then you can react. So Monte and Hyo versus Kagatora and Tanaka, your opener. Big Boss Shimizu and Jackie Funky Kame versus Susumu Mochizuki and Yasushi Kanda. Open the Gate Championship match, Lingerie Mudo versus Don Fuji. Match number four is Ultimo Dragon and Punch Tamanaga versus Kai and Gianni Val- Valletta. Who oh boy. Match number five, New Year's special 10-man tag. Yamato, Dragon Kid, BB Hulk, KZ, and Ruki Doi versus Madoka Kakuta, Dragon Daya, Coach Minora, Ben K, and Strong Machine J. Match number six is a six-man tag with Shuji Kondo, Toru Washi, and Akuya Sugawara versus Shun Skywalker, Ishin, and Yoshiki Kato. And your main event is Masaki Mochizuki versus Shingo Takagi. I really like that show. It has a little bit of everything. Like, I mean, we get a lingerie Mudo match and we get Shingo Takagi. You know, it's it, it, it's a real uh, just two sides of everything. It is. I'm, I'm super into that 10 man tag. Yeah, it. I think that other than like the one match that we both look at and we're like, oh, that's going to be tough sledding. But uh, it's. I think there's a lot there for this. Like you, you do get like the full old generation versus five of the six or four of the six uh, new generation leaders. And I think it lines up and I, I don't hate uh, Aganisu versus Zebrats. No, that serves a purpose. Yeah. 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 And then, Hey, uh, 
I'm okay with Shimizu and Kamei as a tag team. And, and against M3K, uh, Kanda yeah. and Susumu, which I think is super interesting. Yeah, so, I mean, solid kind of things. Uh, Tanaka does not need to be losing falls to Big Hug. I will say that, though. That is true. I'm now curious to see what the result of that match is. Yeah, and I hope it's not a Volta finale on Ryo Tanaka. Well, on January 11th, this might play into the result of that match. The second Corrigan Hall show opener, Coach Minora, Ben K, BB Hulk versus Madoka Kakuta, Dragon Daya, and Ryoya Tanaka. Match number two, Daiki Yanagiuchi versus Gianni Valletta. Let that sink in. Match number three, Punch Tamanaga and Yamato versus Naruki Doi and Shuchi Kondo. Match number four, a 10-man tag. It is KZ, Big Boss Shimizu, Strong Machine J, Jason Lee, and UT versus Ultimo Dragon, Don Fuji, Genki Horiguchi, Kanichiro Rai, and Kagatora. Match five is Luis Monte versus Jackie Funky Kame. Match number six is a Triangle Gate Championship match with Kai, Ishin, and Kato defending against Mochizuki, Mochizuki, and Kanda. And then your main event is Hyo versus Shun Skywalker. I mean, real again, like, why are they doing two sides of every coin here? Like, Daiki, we're we're just getting to know Daiki. Like, we don't need to put him through that. It, it's I get what they're doing because Valletta's gonna kill him and yeah. it's gonna make him look strong. But that if that goes wrong, that match is gonna go so south so quick. Yeah, that might be low-key. As someone who has not watched the Noah main event, that might low-key be a match, a worst match of the year contender if it goes south. Luckily, I think Noah has an award wrapped up, so I think I think we're good there. Yeah, I, I mean, if you put a stinker on display like that, you're not, you're, there's no coming back from it. I'm really curious about match four here, the 10-man tag, that's Vibes versus Ultimo, Fuji, Genki, Arakin, and Kagatora. I, I'm... Uh, my angle alert is up. I don't know what it would be, but that feels like there could be something there. Yeah. Microphones will be had after that segment. Yeah. Yeah, you're right there. And I like that a uh, triangle gate match. It's, oh, yeah. Oh, I'm super yeah. into that. It, it, it's something where, like, usually I feel like with these two shows, when they kick off uh, the year, I liked when they were doing other things over January just because they get these two Corrigans and they just don't feel like a whole lot to them or they have enough for one Corrigan and not really two. This feels good. I mean, I, gold I agree. the gold class and uh, a D courage as like an opener that's strong. I mean, like when we're really just nitpicking about Johnny Valletta appearances, I feel pretty, pretty good about that. I'm pretty excited about next week's Corrigan hall shows. And that's not it for Dragon Gate. They will have a full weekend of shows. I believe they start in, they usually start in uh, Kyoto, but this year they're starting in Osaka, right? I yes. Yeah, that's this weekend. They've got Kyoto and Osaka. Yeah, it's Kyoto and Osaka. They will be in Tokyo the 10th and 11th. They'll close out the month in Kobe before going to Gate of Bayside. So that's a seven-show month for the Dragon Gate Network, starting it pretty strong to kick off 2024. But Case, unless you've got anything else, I think that's it for this week. Nope, that is it. Yep. Uh, thanks for everyone for listening along and thanks for everyone who got in on the votes for the Ulti Awards. And we will be back with you next week talking about the first week of Dragon Gate 2024. Happy New Year, everyone. Take care. Bye bye. 
Hello, do you like New Japan Pro Wrestling? Are you a Shin Nihon freak? If so, check out the Super Jcast with Joel and Damon on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. And even if you fucking hate New Japan Pro Wrestling, listen to the Super Jcast anyway. Not just for our great show reviews, analysis, and pastrami sandwiches, mm-hmm. but there's also usually some dick jokes somewhere in the obligatory opening 30 minutes of absolute nonsense we chat about every single week. That's the Super Jcast for all the best talk about New Japan Pro Wrestling, crisps, and pornography.